0: Welcome to the First Time Podcast. I'm your host, Tad. If this is your first time listening to First Time Podcast, let me explain. It's really, really simple. Either me, the guests, or both of us have experienced something for the first time, usually a movie, and that is the case today, and we talk about it. My guest today is a filmmaker, a fellow podcaster, an old friend of mine. He's one-fourth of the Brett and Tony with Ash and Abe podcast. Welcome, Abe Kirshner, to the show. Well, thank you for having me, Tad. So it's finally good to have you on. Like, I've had Brett on twice, and it's sort of funny because out of the four of you, I think Brett is the one that I've met the most recently. Yes. Like, we go back the furthest. I've known you since high school. And I've been trying to think about... How we even made that connection? Because I mostly ran with just kids at BHS, and you were like a West Burlington kid, right? Right. Um, to my knowledge, I think our
1: first interaction was probably at shows. Oh yeah, It seems where I meet everybody.
0: But I was trying to think of like how we like was. I was either thinking it was like through Adonis, maybe, yeah. or um, was it through Andy Green and those guys? Were you ever friends with Andy? And, oh yeah. Okay. Andy
1: and I were good friends for a long time there.
0: It was probably. Pro- I'm guessing it was him because like i knew him through matt duncan and then everybody started the band thing that's, no i remember uh, adult swim yes uh, the adult okay swim nights that's yep. where i used to see you a lot okay yeah and then um like i said going back in high school you were sort of like there when i was like discovering like actual like moving on from like just watching movies with friends to like digging deep into film like right. we would do movie nights at my mom's house on mount pleasant street down there in the basement i had like that room that had its own bar and bathroom it was separate. Yep. It was like its own apartment. And uh, we would all like, fit way too many people on that huge, ugly floral couch and <laughs> the futon and uh, just random people coming over and watching what we thought was cool. Like, man, Donnie Darko, what a mind bender, which oh I still, gosh. I still love Donnie Darko formative uh, film for my youth. But uh, no, it's, it's cool to have you here finally. And for um, listeners who haven't listened to the Brett uh, episodes and maybe it's good to get a different perspective on it. Um, maybe you just let the listeners know a little bit about uh, Brett and Tony with Ash and Abe, sort of like you, you were actually talking off mic about sort of how that got started. Like yeah. you guys go back and, and you had a podcast before this and you guys have been making short movies and, and just doing all. It's, it's sort of weird. Like you guys are like the bizarro, like Jason and Mike in the way I, I mentioned yeah, i on, on Brett's, but it's like you guys are doing the same thing they were doing. Just in in Burlington, where they're off in Otomwa, it's like a right. similar background.
1: Yeah, uh, basically it all started with um, Brett and a camera. And uh, he just said, hey, you want to make it be in a movie with me? I'm like, okay. And I wasn't even like, I, I don't even think we got to film my part before uh, when we didn't even release the movie, to be honest. Um, but no, then... Uh, yeah, we just started making movies, and then uh, Tony had the bright idea to make a podcast, and all of us were like, "What in the hell is a
0: podcast?" Right, like you guys were ahead of the curve. Uh, it was new gen gener- gener- new genre ish, yeah. yeah, and I remember like these guys are they're doing a podcast like that's at the time that was like you know it was like you and Joe Rogan you and 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 Mike and Jason were doing right. an Attack of Killer podcast at the time. I didn't even know those guys when you guys were doing that.
1: <laughs> it was uh, like none of us knew what in the hell we were doing. We had one microphone in the middle of a, a giant table, like a family sized table. And we were all just yelling over top of each other. It's basically exactly what we do now, but we were less coordinated. And
0: uh, it was, it was interesting. It's a lot of fun though. I mean, well that for, for like, people to put in perspective that was what now is probably like 10 years ago or something right or was it that yeah by? it was um it was just uh after we i got back from oregon so it'd been like
1: 2013 so yeah eight, eight,
0: eight or so years yeah. yeah i remember uh like when i started it was before i i ran the snake alley festival film talking to lonnie who ran it at the time and i was like there's this group of guys who do like a movie podcast in town and he's like you gotta get him here and i tried to talk uh, you and Tony into coming and like you guys were just so busy with other things and and I don't think it it's always it was always sort of like weird to and try to get people down there. Once you get people down there, it's like oh this is cool and fun and relaxing. Yeah. But it's like I think people just sort of it's it's a bit intimidating. It's like oh I'm gonna go down with filmmakers, but when you get there, you realize you're just amongst your peers and it's all fun. But uh no, I think it's cool that you guys are sort of ahead of the curve, but then you took like a extended break there and then. Came back with your current show. Yes.
1: Uh, uh, yeah, we basically just, uh, I mean, we still hang out all the time. And then, oh, I'm trying to think. Oh, it was Brett and Tony. They were talking about having Brett and Tony need therapy. And <laughs> it was going to be, I don't know what their whole plan was. Um, I know Tony didn't want the structure. And Brett, I think they just wanted to have a podcast, to be honest. That's what it comes down to. And uh, Ashlyn and I were like, hey, that was a lot of fun. I mean, we just sit there and talk. It's what we do all the time. Might as well record it. Right. So, we basically uh, said we'll be on a few episodes, not knowing if they wanted us to be for there for everything, and that's where the whole featuring came in. Everybody gave us shit. Well, I guess it was Brett and Tony gave Ashlyn and I shit, because we, we were featuring, because I didn't know if we were going to be there the whole time, and then it turned into With, and then that's where all the logos come from, and yeah. all the name changes, and finally we got it down pat, where it's, it's all four of us, and we're just there.
0: Well, I remember, yeah, when um Brett first started it up, him and Tony, it was just called Brett and Tony. And then I was like, but you two are on it. I was like, I, I was very confused. And he was <laughs> and I asked him about it and he's like, well, we're like we intended to just sort of start at this thing. We didn't think that they would like want to, you know, sort of dedicate their time and, and sort of commit to it. And then uh the same thing sort of happened with me with the Killer podcast. They asked me to be a guest. Uh, one week and then it was like that was a lot of fun you should come back like next time and I was like okay and then here we are like four <laughs> years later but uh, with them it was a little different because you guys like and it's obvious on your podcast that you guys have been friends for a long time that's what makes your podcast is the yeah. chemistry so it's interesting like Mike and Jason obviously have that huge chemistry they're like brothers Um, you know they lived together forever and they've been making movies for as long as both of us have been alive but uh, you know it's just and I talked about this on, on uh, the episode last episode with Brett in December. It's like, it's just sort of cool, like, you know, how you guys would go over here doing your thing. They were in a whole different world. Not You guys didn't even know them. I didn't know them until they came to my film festival, showed their fun little horror movies. I'm like, oh, these guys are awesome. They're making, you know, crazy right. little things. And then it's like, you guys start, I sent Jason, I'm like, hey, you should check out my friend's podcast. It's a lot of fun. These guys uh, talk movies and, you know, they talk horror and it just. I love a podcast where friends just chat because it's like it doesn't even have to be. It's not even about what it is. It's just like the chemistry in that room. Uh, It makes you feel like you're you're sitting in the room with you guys. And like I said, it's it's having that uh, camaraderie of like knowing each other so well that you're all so comfortable that it makes the show, you know, and uh, it's interesting to me that like at the beginning, it was, you know, just Brett Tony, because, like, listening to it now, like, you're sort of the, like, this is a bad uh, comparison, but you're sort of like the Jamie, like, on the on Joe Rogan's podcast, where okay. he's like, Jamie, pull it up. Like, you're always, you're the guy that has the information. Like, <laughs> what would they do without you, man? Like, you know, it's like, let's go to Abe for this, and, and you're the man with the computer. You have yeah. all the information. Like, what would they do without that?
1: Uh, to be honest, I I... I tend to back off the facts lately. I feel like people get bored by my facts. No, so, I love that. That's like, you? you have
0: to have that. Okay, good. You know, <laughs> you have to, because it's like as much fun as it is, you know, to just be bullshitting with each other. And that's great too, but it's like, we need some of that, you know, to right. sort of, uh, you know, it makes it, I don't, I don't know. I, I sort of like the balance of it. Like where it's, it, it makes it like pulls it back in a little bit and you, it, it also feeds to them. You know? Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. uh, you know, the, the, You you guys have had me on several times and I've we've been trying to figure out a way to either get all of us together to do a collaborative podcast. And uh when I asked Brett last month, I was sort of worried. I was like, hey, you know, I'm having I can't have you back a second time before having the rest of them (laughs) on at least once, and he's like, No, no, I talk to them, like everybody's doing their Christmas saying they've got new jobs, they've got other shit going on, and I don't, so um they're they're cool with it. And that's what I'm like. I forget, you know, you, there's like no ego involved with you guys, oh, which no. is which makes it great, you know. It's like the same with our podcast is that um we can be honest to each other and sort of, you know, especially now and it's it's interesting again like Andy didn't know these guys and I met Andy through um, Snake Alley, he's okay. a writer and that's how I know him from Nebraska. And then I was like, "Hey, we should have my friend Andy on. He's like he has a really I think you guys would really uh sort of blend well and then Lo and behold, it was like after recording maybe one episode with them, they Jason and Mike were like, you think he might be interested in being a permanent member? <laughs> and I was like, wow, what, what, you know, such a small world. But it's like I love this like big, you know, the PFPN is like this big circle of like minded friends and, and family that, you know, it's just lots of love there. Oh no! I love it.
1: It's it's really weird feeling that like the world is shrinking. It feels like Mm -hmm. it's just like you you meet all these people and I mean you hear their voices for so long. Like I've been listening. I haven't been listening to Attack of the Killer podcast that long, but then I've been going back into the vaults and everything and hearing all the old episodes Mm -hmm. and then I get to meet some of these people and it's just
0: so such a weird feeling and they're all so
1: welcome and loving and it's just awesome.
0: Love it. I remember like now it's been I think two or three years because one was canceled. Uh, Our our first time we did um, Midwest Monster Fest, it was me, Jason, Mike. Uh, We had like a table and I'm sitting there and Mike and Jason went off. I let them, you know, it's like, oh, we take shifts, you know, someone go, go look at merch and go get some food, whatever. And um, Brian Godsell walked up to the table and he's like, Oh, Tax Killer podcast. He's like, you're Tad, and I'm like, yeah. And he's like, I'm Brian. I'm like, oh, (laughs) "Oh, hey, man. And I was like, at first, I probably came off as like an asshole, like, who the fuck's this guy? And then I, I, but it was more like, you listen to our podcast. Like, I don't listen to our podcast. There's someone out there, you know. And it's, it's always like, I still have that. Like today, I had a friend who was like, you know, hey, I'm, I'm watching this thing that you guys talked about on the podcast. I'm like, you listened that's cool. Like, right. I see the numbers there that show that people are downloading and listening, but it's like, it's one thing uh, to see the numbers and then hear from them. Right. That's so weird. Yeah, man. And I don't, I, people ask me well, when they're like a guest or like, how did my episode do? And I'm like, I honestly haven't looked because I try not to like focus on that. I yeah. try to just make it a fun show. And, and, you know, if, if it's just me and the guests get to sit in a room and chat about a movie, that's worth it to me, exactly. you know, even if it was never released. But, you know, if, if the world wants to listen to it, go ahead and I get to Photoshop their head onto a weird movie poster. <laughs> but uh, no, it's, it's just sort of cool how like you know we going back like 20 years when we when we were in high school watching donnie darko my mom's basement and and playing you know punk rock shows and and just being dumbasses (laughs) all these years later we're still doing the same thing but we're just grown-ups now yeah you know but it's like we still have that love like when when did your sort of like love and passion for film come about
1: oh it would have been short around 97 roughly is after my mom and dad got divorced my dad hated like he he was the uh the ultra religious don't watch the bad things Uh, trailers were evil and so um when when they got divorced my mom didn't care what I watched as long as I wasn't being stupid so I just went to Blockbuster and literally I would walk down any aisle and whatever the cover looked cool I would grab it I would watch it didn't know anything about it and I just started finding things like Reservoir Dogs that was one of my big first ones that I saw and I was just like oh my gosh this is amazing
0: yeah that changed a lot of people like I, I was late to Reservoir Dogs I saw um, Pulp Fiction I remember in high school when Kill Bill came out that was the first Tarantino I got to see in a the theater nice. volume one but I remember like this kid in my class was like you're gonna go see Kill Bill and I'm like you know Tarantino and it's like at the time of course he's fucking huge but I'm like other high schoolers like you know I felt like such an outcast now it's like the cool kids like movies oh, yeah. again but um you know back then it was like i had to have my circle of friends like you guys you know and and i would show i would i still do the same thing with my birthday movie nights it's like right try to find something weird to, to show my friends and, and discover new things but i'm always on the search for things and uh it's sort of coming back around to this episode like you have been working on, like, a list of, like, mindfuck movies.
1: Yes. Uh, I found on Reddit, uh, it was on Cool Guides or something, it was just this random list of 99 mindfuck movies. And I, out of curiosity, I look at all those lists, and if it's not stupid clickbait. And uh, I started noticing, like, Black Swans on there, Inceptions on there. I'm like, oh, my gosh, these are, like, the movies that I... Like, the, my top movies that have been my top favorites list for the longest time. And I'm like, there's 99 of them right here. I what else do I have to do? Might as well just watch them all.
0: Yeah. And so you've been sort of checking them off and we bounced ideas back and forth. And, and it's actually sort of common for, uh, this podcast is that when I, when I talk to a guest and we're deciding, we usually like, it's never like one movie. It seems no. like, uh, when I talk to like God, so we bounce 20 ideas off or Brett, even for Christmas movies. We, and then we slowly narrow it down. Um, but like, like, what are some recent mindfuck movies?
1: Oh, jeez. Um, yesterday? No, not yesterday. It was my last day off. I don't remember what day it was. Um, it, I watched. Um, I don't even remember the name of it. It was oh Stalker. It was a Russian movie from the nineteen sixty nine. Really. And it was. Uh, it, I wouldn't really call it a mindfuck movie. It was more just like an exploration on morals and stuff. But it was done in a really cool way. Most of the mindfuck was just in the way it was done. It was really interesting. Yeah. They had a couple like like when it was switched from like a a single color palette. Like I think it was sepia. And then it would just switch to full color and it's just really, really beautiful. Like it doesn't, it's one of those Kubrick movies where it doesn't look like it belongs in that time frame. Okay. Yeah. It just looks like it belongs right now. I'm sure it's been remastered, but oh, it was gorgeous.
0: Yeah. It's sort of cool. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of all over the place with movies now. Like I used to be more into the mind benders. Um, now I have to be in a very specific frame of mind, like, I don't know. I, I don't know if podcasting has changed the way I absorb like media because I'm like, well, if I'm going to watch something, it better be for a podcast. Right. But, um, you know, between the two, but it's like lately, I've especially now that we've got our year end episode of AOTKP out of the way, it was like, I felt like the shackles have broken off and I can just finally watch like shit. That's not yes. going to be for either podcast. So we've been sort of getting into, we actually been back to the theater to just watch things. But, uh, you know, like looking back, I, I remember um I, I've probably mentioned him on this podcast before, but like the, with the whole mindfuck thing, like I remember my brother showing me two movies that really um I probably shouldn't have seen when I was young, but it, it didn't damage me anyways, just sort of um opened my eyes oh, like yeah. uh kids. I've have you ever seen, seen kids? It. I've never seen kids. Larry Clark's kids. Uh that one he he showed me and I was like, Oh man, like this is this is crazy. And then it and it's not really like a Whoa! confusing is more of a shock. Like, right. it was a look into um, suburban kids, like, at the time in the 90s, skateboarding kids that were sleeping with each other and doing drugs, smoking weed. It was, like, yeah. a day in the life, um, like sort of a coming-of-age thing, but it was, like, not... your is not polished at all. It was very uh, hardcore. And then um, Rec Room for a Dream, oh, which um, is, rec- like, William. a total mindfuck, like, yes. depressing. At the time, I was just like, okay, i definitely not supposed oh to be watching God. this. It wasn't and but to me there's different categories of it like that is a mindfuck because of the content it's sad it's yes. dark it's brooding but like then you get into like you're saying like it, like interstellar or inception that kind of stuff where you have to think you yeah to and, like... and those are the ones i well i guess both if i i it's, I can't remember the last time i wanted to pop in weck room for a dream it's i'm never yeah. really in the mood for it but um i hope i'm never in the mood for that again but like with something like that, I really have to be like, okay, I know I can put the phone away mm-hmm. and actually watch. I think um what was his latest one? Uh Christopher Nolan with the time travel uh was it the uh tenant? Yes. I haven't seen that
1: yet. I've heard a lot about it. Um I didn't even I, I just started recently within the last five or so years getting into actual directors. I yeah. never paid attention to directors at all until Brett, who is a director fiend yeah him and tony and then like they slowly start seeping in but nolan he's got a lot of movies that i just love like inceptions one of my tops memento he did memento right yeah i'm not wrong okay
0: and that's like the one i haven't seen yeah and my my friend evan is uh like a he's the one that he was just on like the home sweet home alone episode and he's like can you please have me back for memento (laughs) because you know, he he's a very, very smart kid and, yeah. and uh or I guess not a kid. I just know him since we we're kids, but uh that's like his favorite movie and I haven't seen it and I'm and he's like, you know, I don't wanna like I don't wanna come on and just talk about home sweet home alone. Like right. I, I wanna talk about a brainy movie, so I'll have him back up for that one. So I have to hold that one in my back pocket. Absolutely. Um but again, that's one where I'm like with Tenet, I just I watched it and I'm like i am just so fucking stupid like like my brain That, like i i had the phone away i sat and i watched it and i'm like what the fuck is happening
1: like see and that's the line like with mindfuck movies like you can no matter how dedicated you are to it it, all it takes is like the wrong twist and you're like okay wait a minute what just happened right and you got to stop and think and there's a lot of movies that i've watched from this list and i'm like Am I still watching the same movie? Yeah. It feels like it's three different movies. And then your brain slowly starts grasping... That's how mine is. Like, after I'm done with the movie, things start forming. It's like a puzzle piece. And it's like, okay, I'm starting to get what I watched. Yeah. But Eraserhead, that was on my list. I still have no fucking clue well, what I watched.
0: Yeah, Um. so that's where it's like another season, another whole another degree level. of um, Mindfuck movies are David Lynch movies. Yes. And uh, I think people listening to this will be surprised that this is um my first time for this movie because people associate me they they i always get like people send me links about david lynch and they send right. me memes and stuff um they think of me when they think of david lynch but they're surprised to find out i haven't seen a lot of his movies i've se- because i'm a i'm a huge twin peaks fan yeah and that sort of was like my introduction to david lynch and i've i I was late to that. Even I didn't watch that till like three or four. Now it's probably like been five years ago, but I, I binge watched all the way through it. Fucking loved it right in time for the new season, uh, the return. Oh, nice. And I was like, okay, cool. Like I get this guy and I've seen, you know, I've been aware of him, but then uh, he has a film school in Fairfield, Iowa. That is trippy to me. Yeah. Okay. And so it's like the, it's like the only film school that does is involved with like the transcendental meditation
1: could just imagine having david lynch as a teacher well yeah and what's
0: really cool is like uh the film school's there and somehow we got connected with them with the film festival at the capitol and their students were doing this project where they did a web series and they filmed it and they wanted um unbiased opinions on it okay. they wanted feedback so the guy was like would you hope would you be willing to host a screening at the theater and bring in your friends? So we did that. And I grew I got together like a study group of people who didn't even really know each other, like people who don't really watch film, people who are deep into film. I, I grabbed like a bunch of really random people uh-huh. and they left their feedback. Um, it was interesting. It, a lot of the VFX weren't finished yet. It was a rough cut and it was more of an interesting to figure out how they did it. Like the teacher teacher. They he has Lynch has professors there, Okay. and like the the head professor there, um was telling us the process was like, they wrote they all got to film like their section like write and film their part almost like an episode and then go into the editing room together and figure out how it can figure how it can make a narrative story. How weird. And it was very much like okay these students have all watched a lot of Twin Peaks. It was almost like too influenced, but he was saying that a lot of ego was involved there where people didn't want to cut any of their stuff. So they're in the editing room and they're arguing like, well, we need to squeeze this in because I filmed it and it was really hard to film. And he's like, but it it doesn't fit the story. Right. And a lot of it just didn't make sense because of that. And I'm sad because like after this, I heard later from someone that um, David Lynch took all the raw footage and took it to his like main editor and was like, make a cohesive as cohesive as a David Lynch right. thing can be and make something like make your cut of this because his editor did not know who filmed what no, did so unbiased completely unbiased yes. just took all the raw footage and took what they thought and made something out of it and I'm like I would love to see that cut like yes. they made like a movie cut like a two-hour cut versus whatever you know I think the series is out there I would have to look up and see what the name was but I think it's online somewhere but it was cool it was a cool experiment but um you know, we have this sort of weird time but people when they realize that I haven't seen a lot of his films like I I'm so glad that we we found one that we, neither of us had seen. Um but yeah, I just probably 3 or 4 months ago watched Eraserhead for the first time. Yep. Um it was for an episode and then my guest after I'd watched it was like I rewatched it and I don't think I don't know what we're going to talk about. No. I agree. He's like because like and I think with David Lynch like it's a mind fuck in the way it's like, what is, it's almost like what in the fuck is with his mind? Yes. Um, not so, because it's like, okay, I, I, I think you have to take him at a, um, uh, at a certain, like, I don't know. It's like, they're not, you can't think of them as linear stories. No. You're not going to get that out of him. I mean, other than like Dune and maybe I think there's like a straight story is another one. He has like, or elephant man is pretty normal. Okay. But, um, Later in his career, when he has sort of gotten a name, he was just like, I love that his attitude is like, fuck it, I'm just going to make my own things. Yeah. Um, and some people agree, some people disagree. It's either love or hate. Like, I have friends who love it and, you know, think he's an artistic, like, genius and mm-hmm. is brilliant. And I have other friends who think he's a complete hack and he's just, like, fucking around with with a billion dollars on screen, you know? He's both. He yeah. Is, he is yeah. both. Cause... Or that he's fucking with people. Um because you know he's he's notorious for like doing this weird shit, and then when the when people ask him about it he's uh nonchalant and doesn't like talking about it It's like you know I think there's that meme that that went around is like he's doing an interview and they're like you know asking him about one of his films, and he's like, actually, excuse me, Eraserhead head is my most spiritual film, and they're like, <laughs> please elaborate and he says no, and that's all he says, you know, and they've turned that into like a million memes but uh I just love that sort of attitude where he's like, I don't owe it to you. And and no. somehow he like gets these big name stars into these crazy uh, to read these crazy screenplays and somehow makes movies out of yes. them. And they look gorgeous and they're fun to watch. But um, I don't I don't know what the fuck's going on. So uh, I guess we'll get into it today. We're going to talk about David Lynch's Lost Highway.
2: we've met before haven't we i don't think so At your house don't you remember no i don't as a matter of fact i'm there right now that's crazy man call me
1: i like that
2: i think there's no such thing as a bad coincidence I like to remember things my own way, not necessarily the way they happened. Someone broke in and taped us while we slept. Is that you? Are both of them you? We have to get out of here. Why didn't you tell me anything? It's been a pleasure talking to you. Ah! ever found out somebody was making out with her he'll kill us october films invites you to take a trip on david lynch's (laughs) lost highway i told you i was here
1: how'd you do that Uh, ask me
0: Okay, so Lost Highway, written by Barry Gifford, who also um, wrote Wild at Heart with uh, David Lynch and City of Ghosts, Um, also written by David Lynch, directed by David Lynch, Uh, cinematography by Peter Deming. Now, this guy's list, like when I looked up his IMDb, I was Mm -hmm. like, what else has he filmed? Because this is a gorgeous movie. His first movie was Evil Dead 2, Drop Drop Dead Fred, My Cousin Vinny, all the Austin Powers movies and The Love Guru. Scream two, three, and four. <laughs> Mulholland Drive from Hell, drag me to hell. The cabin in the woods, Twin Peaks: The Return. I mean, this guy has like a bigger list than than Lynch himself. I was like, what? Peter Deming, yeah. I was like, The Love Guru and Evil Dead Two. This guy has range. Uh, and my cousin Vinny, like Oscar winners too, and Drop Dead Fred. Like, what a strange. And he's still working. He's still doing lots of great stuff. Um, edited by Mary Sweeney, who's, uh, worked mostly exclusively with David, uh, did Twin Peaks, uh, Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me, Mulholland Drive, and The Straight Story. Uh, this cast is awesome, has Bill Pullman as Fred Madison, Patricia Arquette as Renee Madison, and Alice Wakefield. Um, Bavozar Getty, I, I I don't know, I'm butchering that name, but he played Peter Dayton. Um, Robert Loggia as Mr. Eddie and Dick Laurent. Uh, jack nance as phil gary Busey as bill dayton robert blake as the mystery man and then these are sort of just strange cameos richard pryor in a wheelchair as arnie who runs the garage (laughs) henry rollins as the prison guard named henry and then marilyn manson and geordie white who's also known as twiggy ramirez as porn stars um I, I usually write, like, a synopsis or sort of what goes with this movie, but I don't feel like we can, in true Lynch fashion, we shouldn't follow it linearly because... No. What the... I mean, f- initial reactions. Um, it, how, Like, you've you've seen Erra- or uh, Eraserhead. Yes. Like, what else have you seen of Lynch's? Uh, they were...
1: The, I was actually, I think, one of my first dives into this list, I decided to make a Lynch day, and this one got set to the side because I've never heard of Lost Highway Those three, like Tony told me about uh, Blue Velvet. Never heard of that either. And I was like, okay, well, here's three Lynch movies. Let's just have a binge. and
0: um, (laughs) What a day. What a day.
1: (laughs) It really is. Uh, I started off with Eraserhead, and thankfully I started with that one. Because as the night went on the The stories got somewhat more linear and yeah. sensical. Yeah, I'd say Blue Velvet out of those three is the most linear story. Mulholland takes is another mind fuck of its own. Right. But, uh, this one, I think this may be my favorite Lynch movie really? out of all of them. That's cool. Um, that, and to be honest, like I, I've, I feel like the first time I watched because I watched it twice in one day. Because okay. I'm a glutton for punishment. And I was like, <laughs> I, I started it and I was just like, what the fuck did I just watch? And you're trying to comprehend everything because it's just so much at once. It's everything's happening all the time. And then um, I did some laundry and I was like, you know what? I have to watch it again. Maybe I'll catch something I missed. And it's just, I don't know. This is amazing, amazing movie.
0: Yeah. Um... My history with this, I've somehow avoided it forever. I've owned it on Blu-ray for about a year. Uh, I think Kino Lorber had a sale, and it was like ten bucks on Blu-ray. And I was like, nice. "I'm." I build up my uh, David Lynch library. I own this. I own Wild at Heart. Never seen. I own Blue Velvet. Never seen. Um, I've really haven't seen a whole lot of Lynch movies. Like I said, Twin Peaks, um, Head but uh i'm trying like now now that i've watched this i'm sort of in that like mood where you were where i'm like i sort of want to get like i want to find like a few more people and and do um get blue velvet Wild at heart knock those off the list uh because it's like once i get in that groove i'm like okay i'm in a lynchian mood like let's roll with this but um this soundtrack when i was in in 97, I would have been probably like middle school or, or late elementary. Probably. I was graduated in 2004, so it would have been middle school. Yeah, I was
1: just going into uh, fifth grade.
0: Like, like, I was the kid with like a black bowl cut, mm-hmm. extra large band t-shirts. This soundtrack was p- spinning in my disc man or in my, in my tiny bedroom I shared with my brother on, <laughs> loud as it could all the time. I had no idea who David Lynch was. No. I, I did not ever care to see the movie but when a soundtrack came out and it had like nine inch nails next to ramstein next to uh marilyn manson i was like this whatever this is i want this cd same thing like i would say this and then the crow of city of angels i think soundtrack had like white zombie filter nice uh, lots of great stuff i wore those out like crazy i think i had them on cassette then upgraded to uh cd but it's like that cover and I, i just for some reason like listened to it a lot when i was younger and then just never never maybe i didn't even register that it was like a movie right but um no so like going in i i try especially with something like this i'm like i've seen the cover which is nothing it's a black highway with yellow stripes um and i i think i remember seeing bill pullman but i i was like i don't you know i associate him with uh independence day Mm -hmm. um but i was like I knew nothing about this going into right. it. Did Were you going oh, in a blank slate? No, I was completely blind, and I actually, I, I can't say I
1: full-heartedly, nine times out of ten, any movie I watch, I try to be as completely blank as possible. I, uh, on our old podcast, I would, whenever it was my turn to pick, I would do research, I would watch trailers. And I've been burned way too many times yeah. by damn trailers. I've just given up. I don't want to know anything about the movie. The less I know, the, the happier I am. Because then I don't have all these preconceived notions and what to expect. And expectations are just are, are my enemy.
0: Yeah, well, this one is interesting. Like, I watched it just last night because I want to be as fresh as possible, especially with the Lynch movie. Yes. Um, I, I just don't, um, like, retain as much information as I used to. Uh, but... Like, so today when I was at work, like during my lunch, I was like, I, I got to find a trailer. So I'm digging and I watch this trailer. I'm like, this trailer's fucking cool. Like, if I would have seen this trailer in '97, yes. I, you know, and I, they have the, the, I put a spell on you in the background and uh, the mystery man asking Bill Pullman. They don't even show, uh, peter at all in the trailer like yeah you know there's no allusion to the fact that at in the middle of this movie the, the <laughs> our lead switches to a different actor yes with a different name with and we don't know and there is never explained nope. um but no one seems to care no and um <laughs> and it's like you know but the trailer like just listening back to it but watching it too is just sort of like great marketing tool like i mean it, it, the mystery of it you know it starts with the the mystery man it ends with the mystery man played by um what's his name blake. uh blake yeah robert blake um which we'll get on him later but uh and then i'm watching it and it's like uh, they're pulling up the credits and it's like richard Pryor. i'm like the richard Pryor <laughs> has to be the richard Pryor, right oh david lynch will put him in an electric wheelchair that he runs a garage <laughs> okay cool that okay whatever um just uh, like, I'm always amazed that like, I, I guess just the power of the name. But it's like, right. how does he send out this screenplay to all these f- names? I mean, I can see Busey because Busey probably doesn't even yes, read him. No, He's he like, whatever. Know. The the check yeah. is probably good. Yep. Um. But like, Bill Pullman is Patricia Arquette. Um, I mean, just some of these names, it's like... Because Pullman
1: would have been just coming off of, like, right around Independence Day, yeah, right? Yeah, And he then went to this, which is a huge leap. And right. it's just so shocking.
0: I wonder if it's... I mean, I think Elephant Man was up for awards, and maybe it's, okay. like, the that prestige yeah. of, like, you know... I, I think especially back then, a lot of actors would take, like, I'll take one for the paycheck, you know, Independence yep. Day. That's going to be, you know, my name. my face is all over. I get a huge... Paycheck. Right. I'm the star. And then I go do an artsy thing to make sure that people know it's a craft. too. Yeah. And so, you know, you go to Lynch and you get the you get the weird sort of craft artsy guy thing. But, uh, yeah, this in the best way to describe this, basically, um, Bill Pullman plays a saxophone player in a jazz band who's so married weird. to Patricia Arquette at this time, I believe, is Renee.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, Renee is her name uh, because she plays more than one, at least two characters, maybe a third in a vision, but two characters for sure in this movie. Um, They start getting these videos. Well, first, very opening, he gets like a knock at his door and someone says, like, Dick Laurent is dead, I think is at the door. And okay, whatever the fuck that means, of course it's Lynch, so it never comes back. Um, Well, I mean, it does, but it's like, you know, not explained like. Sometimes I want my hand held. Sometimes with a Lynch movie, I know it's not going to happen. No. Um, but they then they start getting these videotapes of their house from the outside. And it's sort of funny to look back. 97 doesn't feel that long ago. But man, like the cell phone they use. The cell phone
1: threw me Yeah, off. And the
0: things that like like the idea of actual videotapes. It's yes. like, okay, this is like a moment in time where videotapes and cell phones exist at the same time. But the cell phone, like at the time, like videotapes were probably on their way out and cell phones were on their right. way in. So it's like we we probably don't have many movies where both of those are featured. Right. Um, but they start getting these videotapes and, uh, you know, it's showing like the, then it starts showing the inside of their house and they're sort of freaked out. And then he sees like on the videotape like a murder of his wife. And then it turns out he murdered his wife and he goes to <laughs> he goes to prison and Henry Rollins is the prison guard. Um, so creepy. Yeah. Like,
1: this, the first, like, 20 minutes is, like, almost a hardcore... I couldn't say hardcore. It's a horror movie. Oh, it absolutely is. Lynch. I never pictured Lynch as writing a horror movie, but holy shit. The first, like, bit of this movie is terrifying.
0: Yeah, and now I'm, like, uh, you know, after watching this, I'm, like, I'm sure Mike and those guys, I'm sure that if they haven't seen it, I'm, like, we gotta figure out how to fit it into an episode. Because I want them to see this one. Because it's definitely if uh, it's a horror movie, there's no, oh, no, for sure. Yeah. And, uh, it, I guess before this murder happens, he, he goes to this party and this Robert Blake, who's, who we don't know him. He's got like a powder white face and a really weird, I don't even know, just uncomfortableness. Oh no,
1: yeah. He's, this is actually my favorite scene that you're about to talk to, but, uh, the, he actually, he reminds me of a vampire. He has the looks of a vampire and he feels like that ominous, like very, just, creepy like you just been looking at him you don't you know he's off you, right you don't talk to this guy yeah at all and then he's just like hey i know we, we met before and uh bill pullman's all thrown off and he's like call me and it's just it's so creepy yeah how everything happens
0: yeah i mean if it's, it's you get the idea that uh pullman is sort of going through some shit with his relationship and mm-hmm. his life like he thinks that you know for as big of a musician as as he is, he he it's almost like he feels um unsatisfied with life. Yeah. So he's out and he's at this party and he sort of got like a chip on his shoulder, but he's sort of fr- also freaking out because he's getting these tapes sent to his yeah. house. And this random yeah weird guy walks up and he's like, you know I'm in your house. And of course this is a David. I'll say this a million times. Take a drink every time I say this is a <laughs> David Lynch film because uh it, it I mean that's just how you have to explain these movies. But he's like, you know, I'm in your house and Pullman plays it so perfectly. He's like, what? He does all what all of us are thinking. He's like, what? And he's like, I'm in your house. He's like, but you're here. And he's like, we'll call your house. Pulls out the ancient flip phone. Calls his house and the guy he's looking at answers the phone. He's like, "I told you." Yeah, that
1: that's the trippy part that it continues the conversation. Yeah. So it's not like a pre-recording, and then and then I love Pullman's response because like this is fucking wild, <laughs> right? <laughs> what else do you say? Mm-hmm. This creepy guy just comes up and says, "I'm I'm in front of you, but I'm also in your house right now. Go ahead and talk to me."
0: Right, and uh after this, it's like he's like, "Okay, I'm gonna I'm out of here," and he goes ask his friend like who's that guy? And I don't remember the response. It's sort of like, Oh, he's this, whatever. I mean, it, it doesn't really become relevant. We never know. We never le- really learn who he is. No. Um, but then he goes home and he has this like weird vision of his wife having like an old man's face in bed. Yes. And it's like, of course in, in his films, it's like, is it a dream? Is it reality? Oh, Do, yeah. He mixes them up so much. Um, you, we never know. Cause his reality is still not reality, but, um, yeah, I, I sort of skipped over that, but it turns out he, you know, he wakes up and is he has like a detective in his face and he's yes. like, what happened? It's like your wife's been murdered. And it's like, did I do it? He doesn't know if he did it, but he gets and this. they sort of blow through this really quick. There's no oh, yeah. like court showing or anything. He's no. just found guilty. He goes to prison. He gets he, he's on death row. He's going to get uh going to get the chair and uh like i said henry rollins is a prison guard which How i love awesome um, would that be to have henry Rollins yeah. as yeah and he starts having these visions of this like weird cabin that's like burning but sucking in it's like reverse yep this cabin out in the middle of nowhere we don't really know much about it very big mystery but um i guess flash forward one day the guard goes to like wake him up in the cell and it's not him anymore nope surprise you yeah. got a new character and uh yeah and that means Pullman's not in it till like the very end now. Which I was like, all right, I love Bill Pullman. He's doing great. I love he's great in this. I and, was wondering how he
1: got top Bill. I mean, I guess I paid him the most, but like yeah. on the cover, he is like the first name mentioned and he's in maybe 10, ten, twenty minutes of the movie.
0: Which is great because to me it's like, uh I imagine the '97 before the you know everyone had the internet and could get things spoiled. Like right. people were like, "Oh, oh no, Bill absolutely. Pullman," and then when it switches, yep. like they had the same sort of thought we did, but even more
1: so. The only thing I think that they kind of messed up on was the fact that, and I noticed it as I was watching the movie, like the little. My internet kept cutting out, and it kept showing the the cover. And they showed uh, Patricia Arquette with blonde hair. Okay. Which I was like, wait, why would they show the blonde hair and then Bill Pullman? That kind of threw me off. Because
0: they don't really interact. Yeah. Yeah. No, the Renee
1: has, like, red brunette hair or something like that. And then when it switches to this alternate reality is when the blonde comes in.
0: Yeah, so... They wake. They go to the cell, and he goes and gets like the prison, the, the warden or whatever. And he's like, "There's a different guy in that cell." And they're just almost a little too. Of course, they're like, "What the fuck?" But they're a little too calm about it. Where they're like, "I guess we yeah. give him back to his parents." They just let him loose. Yeah, they don't
1: ask any questions. He's now in this this killer's cell, and like, okay, go home to your parents. <laughs> go home to Gary, Gary Busey. Busey. <laughs>
0: yeah, do you really is that better or worse than prison? But uh, Gary Busey and his and his wife in this are are also like leather jacket black boots like they're wearing the same rockabilly outfit which yes. is weird
1: it was the best intro for gary Busey <laughs> in this movie because he just comes in with his big old shit-eating grin smile yep. wearing a leather jacket and his denims and just like
0: what yeah I was, I was trying to think and this had to have been like there's a line somewhere in the sand where like after Busey's motorcycle accident where he's went from like being considered like a real good serious right. actor and he was funny and stuff but he was he was considered, like, an actual actor-actor, and then it became almost stunt casting for Gary. What was that one when uh, he was he was a... Uh, they had a baby,
1: or not a baby, a kid, and with uh, Martin Short. It was him, right? With, I, I don't know. I can't remember. Like, they, <laughs> they, like, they were bank robbers. Okay. And uh, they got the girl by... Mis- no, that was Nick Nolte. I get uh, those that, two confused oh, that's, all the that's time. That's a very common nope, thing, but um,
0: I'm thinking, like you know i loved him in uh, point break he mm-hmm. was crazy in that but he that was before i think uh silver bullet you know even thinking back to like what was the baseball one with uh the kid from uh is it like first minor minor league he played for the cubs the kid who breaks his arm and uh i don't know that one yeah there's a kid who breaks his arm and he becomes uh like a a baseball player for the cubs as a kid and uh, Busey is like the old burnout pitcher okay. that he's replacing, so he he's like pissed off at this like twelve year old kid that, <laughs> that took his job as the starting pitcher for the Chicago Cubs. Uh, it, it, and it has uh, Daniel Stern as the as the pitching coach, and he plays a lunatic. That and sounds fun. It, it's a lot of fun. Um, rookie of the Year, I believe. Okay. Is, yeah. I've heard of that one. Yeah. Um, but Busey, when I we popped up here, I'm like, Busey and Lynch, I would love to be fucking in that room oh when gosh. those two bouncing off each yes. other. Yes. Uh, because Lynch is like very uh, straightforward and, and Gary, you know, I feel like. I, now I sort of mix the reality of uh, actual Gary and Andy's Gary where I'm like I, too, I have to remember time. that he's not actually Gary Busey um, <laughs> but he plays like he's the dad and they bring him in and it's like yeah, they they sort of question what happened, but never like, no. hey, what's going on? It's no. like, oh, that's sort of weird. Anyways, on with their life. In and, fact,
1: like, there's, like, several times when they, like, oh, the last time we saw you, but nobody wants to talk about it. So right. It's like, okay, the last, uh, before, I don't know. It's like, the fact that they don't want to talk about it, it's so weird. Right. They like, all tiptoe around what the hell happened Right, and, and it's Pete? not,
0: it's not like it was, like, he did anything wrong. No. Like, no one, but no one just wants to question it, and then we sort of get we, it's almost like start like you hit, hit a switch and we have a whole new movie now. This yes. guy he's with and there's not a connection for a while. Like this guy he works at a garage. He he sort of runs with a rough crowd. He's hooking up with this like young brunette. Mm-hmm. Uh he, he's a ladies man. He's handsome, but he has this like mark on his head which I don't know if I,
1: disappears. I,
0: yeah, so like this yeah, it's gone, but people yeah. comment on it and then like the next day yep. it's gone and then we move on, but um works at a garage and which like I said with with Richard Pryor Pryor. (laughs) and uh and Jack Nance who plays Phil um he's in like everything Lynch he's I love him in Twin Peaks but um I I I figured he'd pop up in here somewhere but uh he works at this garage and this uh guy Robert Loggia uh, who plays Mr. Eddie comes in and he's a real he's the guy I'm trying to think of where I know him from and I looked up his IMDb I know him from like a million things. Yes. He is that guy. Just, See, I've
1: never, his face is unrecognizable to me, but that voice, the
0: voice is, yeah. I hear it everywhere. Yeah. He's the unbearable asshole. Like, yes. He's just that guy yep. who you, you imagine he's like that in real life. Just, oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, just uh, like he's either loyal to you and loves you. And at the party he's, he's like, you know, the loud guy who serv- he keeps getting you to take yep. drinks or, and then after you take the drinks, he's, he's trying he's, to swing at you. Yes you know or he and is hes just intimidating? Oh, so intimidating. And he comes in and obviously in this this one he's like a upper class guy who sort of treats uh Pete who's the now the uh our new lead. Yes. He sort of treats Pete like a kid, but he's like, you know, you're my guy, you're my guy that works on my nice uh cars like a BMW or Cadillac yep. or something. Uh, you know, and Can you get it working? And he's like, let's go for a drive. They go for a drive, and there's this rad scene where he's getting tailgated. And you can already, I mean, he just gives off that vibe where he's like, don't fuck with this guy. He reminds me of a mob boss. Oh, absolutely. He's
1: just so calm and everything until that one thing that happens. And And it doesn't have to be much. No. And this guy was just tailgating him. Yeah.
0: And at first I thought he was being like followed or something. I
1: did too. Yeah. But I thought it was those cops that were tailing Pete the whole time. Right.
0: Yeah. And then, uh, you know, he's like, watch this. And he waves him on, and then. He's he says something he has like a line where he's like you know four hundred horsepower or something. Yeah, because the guy flips him off as yeah. he goes by. Then he's like, "This is
1: where four hundred horsepower comes in handy."
0: Yeah, and he, <laughs> he rams the guy <laughs> and almost I thought he was gonna like ram him off a cliff at first, but oh, he yeah. he rams him off to the side of the road, gets him out, and just beats the ever living shit out of this and guy. It was
1: so cartoony at this moment, and then his rant afterwards involving how many car links between each car <laughs> and how many
0: traffic accidents kill people. Yeah. just...
1: It was so hilarious, and I don't know if it was supposed to be, but I loved it. it yeah. It was a great scene.
0: That's another Lynch thing is, like, there's humor in his stuff, but yeah. it's, like, very dry and different, so it's, like... Am it, I supposed to laugh? Right. Or? Is it intentional humor or not? And that's another thing where it's, like, you never know with him. No. I can imagine being in a room with him where he says something <laughs> sarcastically, and you're, like, can I laugh? Like, yeah, right. can you laugh around David Lynch? I don't know. But... uh <laughs> That that scene stood out to me. I, I actually I'm, I look at my phone like I was sort of taking like just really shitty notes as I was watching this. Because right. I was like, I just sort of want to be uh, engulfed in this. Um, yeah, he... Uh, let's see. I, I said Richard fucking Pryor in a wheelchair. Um, and then Robert loses his shit on another driver, and that's where I stopped taking notes after that yes. scene. I'm like, I'm just here for the ride. Right. But um, eventually, he brings a blonde version of of uh, Bill Pullman's that? wife, mm-hmm. uh, Patricia Arquette, shows up in a car like a convertible with Mister Eddie, and it's like, okay, is this the same person? Are yeah. we supposed to think like again with Lynch? You don't know it's if it's so, like it, is he recasting her? Is he using her in two roles, or is are we supposed to recognize that's the same person? And they I, keep that
1: up for a while. And there's actually a scene way later in the movie where they actually point it out. And there's like a picture, and it has both of yes. them side by side. And then you're like, okay, I'm I'm even more tripped. At yeah, now. yeah. It's like, it's I, like that, wait, that didn't what? help me resolve no. anything.
0: Yeah. And uh, he sort of. Long story short, like she's she's sort of flirtatious with him because mm-hmm. he's a young handsome guy. Um, they they end up hooking up, which you know, come Several on, dude, times. yeah, and I'm like, come on, dude, do, do not mess with her behind that guy's no. eye. Like I'm I'm terrified she of that guy. Killed
1: someone tailgating or about killed someone, yeah. just for tailgating. What's, yeah,
0: you're in the car, man. Like this, and this is, his is girl. This is the guy you want on your side. Like yes. you don't want to get on his bad side. And so he starts hooking up with her, and they start getting a little like freaked out like he knows because he shows up at the garage and he says you know i'll stick this pistol so far up your ass it will come out your mouth and i'll blow your brains out yes and i'm like i believe him a hundred percent i don't even know if he was acting i, I do no. tell you like yes he brought pr- that gun on set with <laughs> yeah, him and he yeah. was legitimately yeah, I going think, to i think they must have told uh robert that you know uh th- this uh Balthazar, bath Bathazar the yes. actor was actually fucking his wife because <laughs> he, he scared the shit out of me he needed the motivation <laughs> yeah his his uh performance is just great because he's so angry and perfect but um he basically is like threatens him and so they decide okay the, the typical get the money and run yes. scenario right. um let's rob my friend um take the money and get the hell out of town but shit goes bad as always yes he shows up at the house uh, The guy it goes to plan at first, and then he accidentally ends up killing the guy. They get out. I'm trying to remember. They they sort of escape, but they go out into the desert. Yeah, they have to go. They were going to go f- sell
1: all of this possessions from that. Uh, I forgot his name already. Andy. Yeah. They were going to sell all of Andy's possessions and uh, basically run away, but they had to go meet the fence in the, the desert, which is never a good sign.
0: Right. And when they get out there at some point we flip back to bill pullman yeah right yep and they have uh, they have sex one more time in the sand
1: while they're waiting and then she's like you're never gonna have me she totally does a 180 walks off and never seen again right and then bill pullman stands up it's like whoa okay wait a minute
0: yeah and then we have like the cabin that he's been envisioning with the the creepy guy with the camcorder recording him he jumps in the car to get away gets back to the house Gets on the lost highway, gets... And that's where we sort of discover, like, the picture with them both in there, right? Yep. Yeah, and, I mean, I've been trying to, like... At first, I was like, do I even want to, like, try to figure this out? Is there something even to figure out? Um,
1: That's where I was for the longest time, and then uh, today at work, I actually started thinking... And I have a theory. Okay. Okay, so my theory is... um, So, while Fred is in prison... He can't sleep, and so they give him that sleeping pill mm-hmm. and then so he goes into his prison cell. I think at that point of the movie, he is either like Because he's like they show a weird tripping scene where he has like a nervous the blue breakdown. light blue yes. light he's
0: looking up at the vent above the prison and he and it's and, blue, and he starts freaking out yeah. yes,
1: and then he keeps having flashbacks to being covered in blood, and then it's just it, at that point, I think he has a nervous breakdown, and I think he switches perspective I think he's living in his head at that point. And then he uh, the line I thought it was a throwaway line and it threw me off for a long time. But uh the the weird line about how the the cops ask Fred if he has a video camera and he's like no I don't like cameras because I like to remember the things the way I want to remember them. Okay, that and okay, yeah. I was like that's really weird, okay? Uh, then uh so I think he is reliving his like it's his life flashing before his eyes but it's as he wants to remember it like ideal life yes yeah and because uh like he because there's the the scene where he's having sex with his wife uh renee and he basically finishes early and she has to console him and it's just like you can see the bitterness in his face right and then it switches over, and then there's its other life. Now he's, he's young, he's, a, he's a stud. Yeah, yeah, he's having sex with everybody, and they love him. And uh, then throughout the Pete's life, they have constant flashes in the sky that I think that is the electric chair.
0: Well, see, that's, I figured at the very end, yes, when Coleman's driving, scene, yeah, Yeah, and I was like, okay, that's that to me seemed like the electric chair, but... I I admit I looked up like some different theories on right. stuff and um the one I sort of came across that was similar to yours but not quite it was like you know um he's in he's in I guess sort of pretty similar he's in prison and he's like I don't want he, he's like I want to escape this life yeah. and and live in it. but my I guess I shouldn't take that as like you know absolute because it's like and what kind of life would you want this like maybe some guys like that right, like being this guy by a mobster. exactly but you know that sort of it's that that some people are into like that um sneaking behind people's right. back and having that you know this yeah. this powerful guy after you and mad at you but it seems like a, a excuse me a nightmare in a nightmare to me oh yeah agreed but uh yeah and then you know we sort of get that ending where he's driving off in the highway and it looks like he's almost like having not quite like a seizure, but another sort of freak out and almost yeah. like, it looks like he's being electrocuted and um, it's like face
1: starts swelling up and like right. it's all grotesque. And, yeah.
0: And see, that's the thing I
1: love about all mind fuck movies and these kind of movies is they're like, uh, like abstract paintings or, uh, a lot of Picasso stuff is, I don't want to be told how to feel. Open about to him. interpretation. Yes. Yeah. And that's the beauty of them. It's like, who, if whatever this means to me is what it means to me, like Black Swan, to this day, I do not know what in the hell that movie's yeah. about. I know, I've seen it. I love it. And it makes me feel a certain way, but it's because of what I'm getting out of it. Right. And that's the, that's the beauty of it. I mean, who cares if it means this is what the director meant? Who cares? Right.
0: I think that's like why I always go back to Donnie Darko because it might have been the first one where like I yes. sat around with friends and we talked about and debated. And there's still like you can go online right now and buy shirts and pe- they, people make sure to say Donnie Darko doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And I'm like, that's sort of the beauty of it. But then mm-hmm. he put out uh, a director's cut. And I, I don't know if you've ever seen it. I don't Donnie, think I have. Don't Never watch it. Never watch it. It's okay. like Donnie Darko for dummies because he puts these cards in between like oh. transitions. And it explains like it's like pages out of that time travel book and it explains everything and it's like, he's holding your hand and and like explain. And I'm like, I, I cursed the magic out. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I mean, it's, it's never really been like, it's not quite a a mind fuck of a David Lynch movie. I mean, there is something to it of like, you know, Donnie discovers what would be if he leaves his room and avoids Mm -hmm. the engine, you know, and all this, all this stuff will happen if he lives. So he has to sacrifice himself for fate or whatever. But, uh, just the idea of like so many people question him that he's like i should make a cut word explains it like right no, no. like that's what i liked There's about no it reason to,
1: no reason to flex that you're smart
0: we get that you're right. smart just let us feel yeah. how we want and then the people that would demand it that's even weirder to yeah me. but with like with this um i was reading and I, it might be in my in my trivia later but um like Siskel and Ebert, I I rewatched, and I'll put it at the end of this episode. I rewatched their review of it, oh, not favorable. They said it was beautiful, and what great performances. But they said that David Lynch was trying to be too smart, and it was like, I mm-hmm. don't know, like maybe. And I, I I mean, they're movie reviewers, and they they see stuff in and out, but it's like. I don't know. There, there are films that I'm like, it's a little too pretentious. But to me, Lynch has always come off. I mean, he's always been like that. Yeah. And it's like, you know what you're in for with a Lynch movie. I See, that's the thing that, that I,
1: I've never seen a Lynch movie until this, I guess, this last year-ish, like the last 10 months. Yeah, I've never seen a Lynch movie. But everybody knows. It's like Lynch is either fucking with you. Or he's just, he's making beautiful art. Right. And no one knows, and that's, it's it's Lynch. Yeah, that's okay. And that's okay. all you need to get.
0: Like, if you don't like it, then don't watch it. Yeah, it's exactly. It's, like, you know, there's if you want to your hand to be held there are movies like that and that's yeah. okay like i i like those two where i turn my brain off and just oh, yes. watch you need it you know a, i fucking just saw this new spider-man movie that was great for yes. turning my brain off it's that's, just fun yeah you know yeah. and then i can go home and watch uh you know lost highway and and sort of be like <laughs> what the fuck but it's like i don't know man like now that i i was in the right mindset watching it last mm-hmm. night and, and i it's funny because uh I actually wrote this in my phone when I was looking at um Letterboxd I added it and you'll appreciate this. Your best friend Joe Lynch. Oh. <laughs> okay, Joe Throw, Lynch. Throwing over to your podcast. Uh I looked at his review and he he has a pretty good review says it's beautiful but he says it's basically one long Ramstein music video. <laughs> I
1: can see it. I mean the last like last they do play like two or three songs yeah. and they are like consecutive. Although I will say I love it when he walks into that house and there's the, the, the pornos playing in the background and then all you hear is that creepy ass German. Yes. And then it's part of the song, like that, that crack right after it, but they cut the song out perfectly with uh-huh. it and it's a door shutting. I love it when any director does that. If they yeah. can time their stuff perfectly with the song, it's amazing.
0: Lynch has always been really cool about with music. Yes. Like, um, not not I mean, of course I love like Tarantino's the same way. Oh, yeah. You know, he has a you know, he, vast way of of actually pulling music cues from old movies and putting them in his but with Lynch he's almost unapologetically like okay music of the time like Nine Inch Nails mm-hmm. uh M- M- Manton stuff like metal in this sort of um uh, you know in your face dark horror movie and it it works like oh, there's yes. sometimes where you you go back and watch a movie and it has like a like the American pie movies and they have like, you know, pop punk from that. And it's like, Oh, it's a little cringe. Some of it like crazy town or something, but it's like with (laughs) this, it's like, Oh, this is cool. Like that, that music might not be as cool anymore, but like it just fits the vibe of this movie. Like the nineties are probably my least favorite time for movies. And it's weird because I'm a nineties kid. Right. But, um, i don't know like 97 like he nailed that like time period and it doesn't it doesn't feel like 97 but it has the music of 97 it doesn't like the way he uses it is cool yeah um and he gets away with it that where i feel like other directors can't but it's like i remember uh reading on the the new twin peaks the return that was in 2017 i think or 18 i don't remember but um At the end of every episode, they would be back at the roadhouse and he'd have a band perform a song. And that's how they ended the movie or uh, every episode. And uh, he had like Trent Reznor. And he's like, can you write a song and perform it as Nine Inch Nails on the show? And it's like, cool. He wrote it and sent it to him. And only Lynch could be like, this is too bright. Like, I need something darker (laughs) from Trent Reznor. And, And it's like. I, I i don't know i just think of myself in that position i'm like i could never tell trent Reznor, like no, no. like y- he wrote the song like let you know that's <laughs> what it is like that's what it's going to be no matter what he writes but david lynch is like write another one and I he did like and he performs fact- it just over the closing credits of one episode of twin peaks but it's like you know cool that they have like he he he's also been known to throw like musicians into his mm-hmm. movies and have cameos where it's like a guy who's celebrated as an artist and award-winning and considered you know uh an artur like he can throw people who are not considered good actors like you know henry rollins right and here or and have a weird cameo basically by richard pryor in his last movie he had some of the weirdest like
1: i just remember when i saw richard pryor i'm like that's not richard pryor i don't care it looks like <laughs> yeah it. it's not it's He's so electric weird. wheelchair working at a garage like and he just like says the like i remember his line of uh I have 9 people that work down here. You can come ask 7 of them if they give you that price. You can ask the other two. It's just like
0: what is that? Yeah. yeah like, did what did, is did this he guy? did he write that for Richard Pryor or did Richard Pryor um, like, I got to
1: throw my comedy routine in
0: here real right. quick. Like did did uh Lynch go Lynch was like, "I have this role for, you know, Pryor," or was Pryor like, "I'm going to audition for David Lynch?" Or was <laughs> like, "How does this happen? I I need to know." But we'll never know because of no. David Lynch, he'll never tell he'll you. He'll never
1: tell you. No.
0: Apparently there's a a whole documentary on Lynch and it's it was made during the filming of this, so it's like a lot of behind the scenes stuff oh, nice. that I'd like to see the the Blu-ray's bare bones only has subtitles and maybe a trailer but um I I need to like seek that out and just I would love to see some sort of behind the scenes um reading some comments from some of the actors it's funny looking at the trailer you look in the comments and uh it's like the guy who played the the dude that was tailgating okay he's in the comments and he's like <laughs> None of us knew what it what it meant. And see, that's what I've always
1: always wanted to know is I want to hear from actors right after they get off set. I want to know how they interact with this man. right. It's got to be the most interesting thing, just letting just taking direction from him and be like, right. does he know what he's doing? Or yeah,
0: I is... watched um they done a lot they did a, like a lot of behind the scenes stuff on the New Twin Peaks and I watched some of that um with like him and Laura Dern. And, like, if you're him or Kyle MacLachlan, like, people who've basically been in everything Lynch, yeah. um, you know, they they have he, – he there's a reason he brings back – you know, this is, like, one of the rare exceptions. Um, he only has uh, – Jack Nance is, like, the only really returning actor he uses in all of his stuff. But like McLaughlin's in like, you know, Dune, he's in uh Is he, he
1: the one I guess you've never seen Blue Velvet. I, I I i know the name. I just can't put a face But he to plays
0: it. uh Detective Cooper the lead in, okay, in Twin yep, Peaks, that's yeah. The guy. yeah. And he's in a lot of you know, he's it's like they have a repertoire and he has like this small stable of people he likes to use and it's like I think they just have like an understanding, like Laura Dern. Him and they Laura just, Dern always yeah. work together and, and somehow he like he fit her into the new Twin Peaks. It's like you mu- show up and do what you're told and right. he and, loves you. Yeah, yeah. and then you know this mutual where they they're like we don't really get, you know, we understand he's making art and we appreciate it. We don't really understand what we're we're doing here, but it's, you know, we Love we enjoy you. it. At it's, least with Twin Peaks it's like it's linear. There is, you know what, it, it it makes sense. It right. it follows a story. And see, um, I
1: watched uh one ep or no, two episodes of that uh way back when. Um and I just was not ready for it, and I think there was too much hype for me because I've had so many people tell me, "Oh, it's the best thing ever," and I didn't, I didn't get Lynch at that point, point. and he does some. I've noticed it in almost everything I've watched of his. There's a weird quirk that they have with dialogue, and I've never been able to put my finger <laughs> on. It. But like the first twenty minutes of this movie, I was thrown off because Bill Pullman, other than that that phone scene he does not deliver a, like, convincing... Uh, like, it, the lines are just so weirdly right. written. And
0: I, I've i I've been curious. Like, is that, like, a normal thing for David Lynch? It's, I think it is, yeah. Like, I got uh, my friend Blake to watch Twin Peaks once, and he was like, are they intentionally acting bad? Right. he's like, because it seems like a soap opera, but it's, like, an artsy soap opera. But, like, I know they're good actors. Yeah. Are they delivering, like a bad take on purpose because it's, is that the way he makes things? And I'm like, well, I think it's, supposed that is supposed to be almost like a take on soap operas and, uh, on like sitcoms and stuff. Okay. But it's like, yeah, it, it's, it's weird how, you know, obviously, uh, Bill Pullman is great in this, but it's like, yeah, it's not a normal Bill Pullman no. performance outside of that one scene. And, you know, it's like these people don't even act human. No, they and, don't. And there's like a super intense scene that I didn't mention in this where, they uh get it is alice into the room and they like make her strip down while they have a gun to her right. head and that's like so uh, weird it's 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 like it's like erotic but also like intense mm-hmm. but it's also scary it's like and it's really weird because it's all that and then
1: the First thing that you, sh- when she's standing there waiting, there's a random dude in the next yeah. room bench
0: pressing, <laughs> and
1: it's like, Wait, what the hell is going on? Who's yeah. the guy in the speedo bench pressing? And yeah, never mentioned,
0: yep, yep, and never addressed. No, uh, that's that's like the beauty of, of Lynch stuff. I remember, um, and this is, I'll do my best not to spoil anything, but there's a scene in Twin Peaks where people, you know, it had been like 20 years of uh between like the finale of season 2 and season 3 okay they brought it back on showtime and people it was like a the hard the lynch fans are hardcore so there was always like an online presence of people that were watching at the same time on showtime we we're all watching and people were like interacting i remember there was something going on where people thought f- people just it seems like people just forget that he's david lynch because right. they were expecting this big thing to be resolved And he he wastes twenty straight minutes of two characters sitting in a car driving down a desert highway. Twenty straight minutes of nothing but them. No, they're not even talking to each other. And people are going (laughs) fucking nuts. They're so mad. They're like, this episode ends in like three minutes, and they they haven't addressed it. What Mm. are we gonna do? And I'm like, it's David Lynch. He's not gonna. He's not going to resolve it. That's that's how it is. It's like he doesn't. I mean, this is actually sort of definitive end for him. Like a Lynch film, like, you oh, know, yeah. even though it's, like, we just assume it's the electric chair thing, but it's, like, at least there's an end to it. Like, right. usually he just sort of, the movies just or TV shows just sort of stop, and that's where it is. Right. You know, it's, like, when I watched Eraserhead, I'm, like, I have no idea what's going on, but it, it gave me, like, a weird feeling. It like, does. Like, man, like, a sinking feeling. Like, I felt sad.
1: Yes, and that's another one, like, uh, I watched, another one on my list was Irreversible, and that movie is... I like when directors can control emotion. I, this guy, he would actually... He um, purposely did shaky cam, but it was, like, super, and he was, like, rotating it at every <laughs> angle, and it's and then he would also play a certain pitch to induce uh, vertigo. And okay. I, did, I did feel sick. And it worked, yeah. And it's just like, but does it need to go that far? Right. I, mean, I Sometimes I feel like they take it a little too far, and... I think David Lynch treads the line. I mean, I I think it's great. Yeah, because I mean, it's it's his piece, and ultimately, whatever he wants, he's gonna get.
0: And I I know peop There's some people that like. I feel like uh, maybe if I like watch this with Nikki or something, she would probably be like, "Uh, this is like uh, maybe not her, but some people like I I just know some people who I I just would never show this to like my yeah. sister. She, she 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 watched Rocky Horror and was like." What was that? I'm like Rocky Horror, straightforward, like it's a musical <laughs> yeah. about a guy creating a like a, a the perfect man or whatever. And but I'm like, if she watched a David Lynch film, she would just be like, right. what the fuck's wrong with you? You yeah. know, like I don't I don't find any enjoyment in this. Um, but no, I I don't know, man. It's just like a whole certain. It's like its own genre of film. There's no one it else is. really like him and. You know, it's, it's amazing to me. He's still creating, but he's just doing what he wants, which I love. Oh, yeah. You know? More
1: power to him. Yeah.
0: He, you know, he dipped his toe in the Hollywood thing. And it, I have I should find the story of him talking about when they try to when uh, George Lucas tried to get him to direct a Star Wars movie. You ever heard that one? I don't think I have. Oh, it, I'll try to make it short. But basically, like George Lucas was begging David Lynch after Dune to make a Star Wars movie. I don't remember which one it was. It must have been second or third one. And he was like, no, no, no. And and Lucas was like, at least come talk to me or whatever. And he was like, fine. Like Lucas sent him like, you know, a plane ticket and got him like a driver, to pick him up at the airport. And they went out to the Lucas ranch and David Lynch was not having any of it. Like usually, you know, uh, he could like schmooze everybody, right. you know, come out here and I can show you, like give you the best food and drive you out in the middle of nowhere and all stuff. And Lynch was like, I hate all this, every second of it. And he like. <laughs> got him out there and he had a headache and he was like i just wanted to leave the minute i got there and just hearing him tell the story is it just makes it immensely better but he just basically was like i showed up and just had to tell him no and like asked if i could get back to the airport like, <laughs> like most people would be like an amazement like we're at the place where star wars Take is made on a and, tour right and yeah and he's like i just want to go home like i hate this uh and and you know it's like his. The idea that, like, you know, they saw the talent in his filmmaking, but they are like, he'd make a great Star Wars movie, and he's, like, on the opposite end, where, like, my my biggest nightmare would be making a Star Wars movie. Yeah,
1: I mean, if you, if would a Star Wars movie directed by David Lynch do well? I don't think, I think it would flop. I, I just yeah. don't think it's uh, in his wheelhouse, and because he's going to want more control than Lucas would give him. Right. I guarantee you. Yeah. He would want to, I don't know, make Boba Fett do a strip tease or something. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, Something bizarre. And Lucas would be, just fire him on the spot. Yeah.
0: It's, it's sort of like on a lesser degree when Edgar Wright was, you know, he left Ant-Man because he's like, I wanted to make it an Edgar Wright film and Marvel wanted it to be a Marvel film. Right. It, I think it was just bad timing on their part because then like James Gunn went on to do Guardians and made it a James Gunn movie and now I right. feel like they're letting directors do their own things but at the time it was like well, it has to fit our formula perfectly yeah. and uh you know you just can't you cannot box Lynch in like no. like I said his most uh normal movie is dune and you know a lot of people are are consider that sort of a beautiful disaster because they sort of boxed up Lynch and made him make like a linear movie but uh did you have any notes before we get into trivia cuz I got a lot of trivia um, I dude i think we covered pretty much everything that i have okay well then let's hear from the prescribed films podcast network we'll take a quick break and then we will go through some trivia
2: you're listening to the prescribed films
0: podcast network home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment the shows on this network all have a common goal And we're back. So I'm going to go over some IMDB trivia, as always, take this with a grain of salt, because some of it's true, some of it may be fabricated. Um, I sort of searched through all of it and picked out things that were um, sort of more factual and less like opinionated, because everything with David Lynch is sort of left to uh, interpretation. We talked a little bit about that already. But um, according to David Lynch, the first scene in the film is based upon an incident which occurred in his own life. He says that in early, early one morning, his intercom buzzed. And when he answered it, a voice he didn't recognize said, Dick Laurent is dead. However, by the time he got to the front of the house to look out the window, there was no one outside. So that's sort of crazy because this whole movie might have just started by somebody accidentally getting the wrong house. But (laughs) how do you even get the wrong house and say like yeah who's whose house was the right house? yeah. who
1: do you why do you say that over the intercom? Yeah. it's funny that he even keeps the kept the name in everything so. right,
0: <laughs> which i I don't even know if we ever actually like talked about earlier in the episode, but um there's a point also n- not only where Pullman's character uh, switches, but this isn't necessarily a character switch, but we find out that yeah the the old guy is actually like a porn producer right. And before we were sort of like he he went by one name, Mister something, and it was like, okay, he's just we assume like sort of a mobster, a bad guy, and now he's a porn producer. Which I mean, not you not, could, too not too far off. Not too far off, and it could he could be both. But um, we sort of discover that he's yeah he's a porn producer and it sort of leads to like later in the movie when we when he goes to the house to get that money and we see a porn on the screen and you know that's the Marilyn Manson cameo oh yes uh but yeah sort of crazy like I in you know David Lynch all it took was one person I mean I guess it's not like someone in the office saying something like <laughs> hey you know what is and he turned it into a movie he leads an interesting life I don't know yeah it's like now I sort of want to figure out where he lives, go knock on his door and say something, see if he right? writes a movie or, or something about it. Or if you get writing credits for that, you should get some. It, kind it, of... it, unless you run away like this person, <laughs> you know, no one does, but of course it could just all been in David Lynch's head.
1: That's that's also true. I don't know why he kept the name Dick Laurent, because if you think about it, like it was a weird thing to have him have two names. They right. never address it. So why just make make it? Eddie's dead.
0: Right, yeah, I don't know. Maybe uh, Dick Laurent was a, like... It sounds like sort of a porn star name, so maybe it was like... Maybe his name... This is just his, like, porn director name, because porn stars don't use their real names. True, You know, so I imagine the directors are sort of the same. Like, I think Wes Craven and a few other horror directors started with, like, dirty movies, so if he kept his name like he used west when he was doing really? the dirty movies and later that's his real name but like west craven's sort of a cool horror name in the, in way yeah. so um but i think about like what it would be you know with this it's like maybe maybe that was inspiration like dick laurent what would that be that sounds like a porn director what <laughs> if i write this whole movie you know and uh about this thing uh, square one porn right, director right he just needs like one little bit of inspiration. You know, had, he had like writer's block and he's like, oh, Dick Laurent. that's that, all I need. Right. It's all painted for me. Uh After Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert gave the film a negative review on on their show, David Lynch issued a new poster calling the thumbs down verdict. Two more reasons to see Lost Highway. Asked for his opinion, Siskel said, I found it petty. Um I don't know. Like at the time, now it's sort of funny because like, the new Siskel and Ebert is sort of Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I'm I'm sort of split on that. Like, where do you fall in the Rotten Tomatoes thing? Because I know people who hate it and they're like, "Fuck Rotten Tomatoes! They're ruining film because they're is all influence and who cares what they say." And I'm sort of like, I don't know. I like the idea of pooling reviews together and doing it and be able to see like, okay, in general, if it's something I really want to see, I'm not going to be like. I'm not gonna skip a movie because right. it has a negative score, but I also see like how it can really fuck someone over like oh yes and and especially I mean with the it, it's nice that they do have the fan one versus the actual yeah, critics one too up. Yeah. because the fans have known to be like intentionally toxic towards a movie if they don't like the director or even the studio like I think with the um what was it the the Snyder cut they were mad at Warner oh, brothers, yeah. so they they like review bombed um. Kong versus Godzilla. And it's like, oh, that has nothing to do with it. No. Like, you don't like the studio, go out, air your grievances with them, not this poor director. I mean, of course, poor director guy got to right. direct the <laughs> biggest Hollywood movie ever of all time, but it's like, it's not his fault. It was, you know. Yeah. And So luckily, critics, but I I don't know, where do you fall on like the so, Rotten Tomatoes thing?
1: To be honest, I've never really paid attention to any critics, of any opinion on anything. I like to go back to reviews after okay. I've seen it, just because... There's some of them that I just don't like. I um, I can't remember what movie it was, but like I loved it growing up, and then
0: it's like at a like a five percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Like, yeah. What? How is that yeah. possible? I think like between Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb, I think you 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 guys sometimes bring that up on your show, like the IMDb score, and it's like yeah. that's always interesting to me how different they are because. It seems like and maybe it's because it's on a different scale or something, but it always seems so low on there. Like Rotten Tomatoes is on a percentage of one hundred, so it, right. it can vary more. I think IMDB is on a scale of ten points. And so it's always surprising to see everything just seems low to me on there. Yeah. Like everything. No, absolutely. You know, I don't know. And maybe I'm like Jason and I just like too many things and not too critical. Yeah, see, that's what I've noticed actually going back to my
1: letterbox. I've I feel like I see everybody else's because it shows you everybody else's ratings. And mine, like I feel like I'm very generous with my. Yeah. Rating. I feel yeah. bad afterwards. I'm like, maybe do I need to review my review? But yeah. No, no. I stick to I stick to my scale. I never do halves. So that drives me nuts.
0: I uh, I start like I started on Letterbox doing that, and I'm like, then I would see. I, I just overthink everything so yes. I look at it That's and I'm mean. like but I gave this like a four point you know five but I like this more and like is this really a per- like I can- right I, 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 is anything is any film ever even my favorite film a perfect five so oh man it's 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 a long I feel the same thing every time I do a rating it's like I want to give it a
1: five or a four but it's like okay so I have to break it down to the little elements but the way I see it a five is if I loved it enough to just to, Fall in love with the movie, if, even if I never rewatch it, it's still a five in my head. Yeah. May, I know it's technically a perfect rating, but it's I wouldn't call it a perfect movie. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I mean, because there's no... I mean, on that scale, it's like, this is the perfect movie for me. Right. Like, and it's still going to have flaws. Because everything, no matter oh, yes. Spielberg, any, anybody, The Godfather has flaws. You know, every single film has something somebody can nitpick, so... Yep. There's no such thing as a perfect film, so the the next best thing should be considered a five. Right. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. So I I, I actually sort of like the idea of using their two thumbs down on a poster and saying, yes. you know, two more reasons to see it because it's like <laughs> if you, I mean, critics. It's funny because I hear critics say filmmakers should have tougher, thicker skin about this, and then yep. I'm like, well, reviewers should have thicker skin about filmmakers coming after them. Like, I mean we have um kevin smith who's sort of like his second part of his career where he's just doing these sort of gonzo crazy fun movies that he wants to do critics have hated every one of them and he's had this interesting relationship where he used to be like the critics darling and then they sort of flipped the the switch on him when he started making these you know lower budget indie movies and he's he's been very open he's always been like the most open director and he comes out and he says you know i don't agree with you guys you guys are he calls him out on it and people are like oh what a crybaby. it's like it's okay for them to talk about his yeah. film but it's not okay to him to dress it back like I think it's healthy to have a back and forth absolutely you know and, and with this case I think it's cool to use like use it not necessarily against them but use it to promote your movie you yeah. know it's a, it's a business and you know a lot of people who are gonna go see a David Lynch movie are not the kind of people who really care what Siskel and Eber exactly. have to say Um, and, and they're, you know, obviously, especially at the time, um, were probably like the, they were the, at the time, the Rotten Tomatoes and, uh, you know, their, their opinion held a high standard. Um, so I could understand him sort of being upset, but I also think it's not that serious for him to be like, you know, it was probably more tongue in cheek, like, come see this because it got two thumbs down. The
1: the way I see it is it's kind of like, um, you never see a bad blurb on a poster, like
0: bashing right
1: so it i think it's kind of funny it's like oh they give it two thumbs down and he's just all for it right to see this movie that's cool well
0: i've always loved when uh and and i get back to kevin smith he's sort of wearing that on his on his sleeve now where it's like if he gets a bad review he sort of has fun and pokes at it but like looking back at movies like with the razzies like they're the the bad oscars um i've always loved that like Tom Green, I think at the time, had the record for Freddy Got Fingered. He got like the most. (laughs) He showed up with his own red carpet, rolled it out and walked down his own red carpet. And he's like, you know what? Like, I embrace this because it's there whether you acknowledge acknowledge it or not. So don't take yourself so seriously. Enjoy the moment. Have fun with it. And people appreciate it. And this is awesome. You know, it's like you're you're, it's a Tom Green movie, dude. Like people weren't going in expecting it to be, you know, Oscar worthy. It's supposed to. (laughs) They missed the whole intention of it. But also, you know, I, I do sort of feel bad when someone takes themselves so seriously and then they get nominated for a Razzie. That's almost more of a slap in the face. At absolutely. least it's with like Tom Green, you know, he, he wasn't aiming for the, the sky. So um, I, I can appreciate that. Oh, absolutely. Yep. Um, Robert Loggia was the first and only choice to play the character of Mr. Eddie because of his former desire to play Frank Booth in Blue Velvet. In 1985, he showed up for an audition on the set of Blue Velvet, Unaware that Dennis Hopper had already been cast and proceeded to wait three hours growing increasingly agitated. Upon seeing Lynch and learning of Hopper's casting, he proceeded to give an extremely profane and angry rant to Lynch for making him wait only to remind him that the role had already been cast, which remained in Lynch's head for nearly 10 years as would eventually become Mr. Eddie's road rage scene. Nearly 10 years later, he received a phone call from Lynch requesting his performance for the movie he was more than happy to accept that's <laughs> so, so cool too I like I like it. this this guy I, th- I i i mean you that's one thing that shows that uh he has thick skin because it's like i don't know now if like if somebody comes and yells at me and, and got really upset like i would oh, no, no. i would feel like yeah i'd be like no that like um, i'd be
1: i'd be re- either really embarrassed that i screwed up so bad or um I'd feel like he's being a complete dick. Right. Either way, I wouldn't want him anywhere near right, my next right. project. I
0: mean, like we talked about it earlier in the episode. It's like that guy is is scary, and we imagine he's like that in real life. So then this comes about, and it's like, okay, he is like that in real life. Can you imagine? Like, I I always imagine like this is sort of like the, a James Conn too. Like he comes off even in like Elf, oh, yeah. he yeah. comes off as that kind of guy that yeah. you don't want to fuck with. So um, Rob Robert Loggia, like when I we saw him in this, it was just like. Holy shit he's scary and to think that Lynch saw saw the real side of that that road <laughs> rage scene in real life directed at him in person like not not on screen not as a character man right. to man as an actor to a director and he thought about that and and remembered it 10 years later and he's like let's use that guy because <laughs> he's genuinely pissed I love it and that I love that he Robert came back and was like yeah yeah let's do it that's
1: true too i didn't think about that but the fact that robert was willing to bury the hatchet and- right yeah
0: uh you know it's i mean i could just imagine he's he's probably like that on set i mean he's probably just a super intense guy i yeah i don't know i don't know if
1: i could stand being in a room with him he's kind of intimidating oh yeah
0: I <laughs> and i i don't know if he's still alive or not but it's like every role i mean he's one of those guys a character actor that yes you know what you're casting him in he plays one role an intimidating sort of hothead, mobster, gangster, leader, boss, something, some guy. He's never going to be the under guy. No. Like he's never going to be the second in hand. He's always going to be the t- guy at the top. He's always going to be angry, mean, intimidating. So, and um, that voice, man, that yeah. voice
1: is petrifying. Yeah, yeah. I can only imagine when he goes takes it to 10 and he's pissed
0: off. No. I, I would've loved to have been like in the room when that happened just because I or <laughs> put him and Hopper in the same room and let him oh fight it out. Like Hopper was a badass. I don't know if uh, Robert's still alive or not, but yeah, I don't know either to be honest. I, I imagined he, it seems like one of the, those types of guys they probably have high blood pressure and don't yeah. live into like their sixties. like beyond if he that is still alive, he's not doing well. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> uh, the house in which Fred Madison, Bill Pullman lives along with most of the furniture and it belongs to and was designed by David Lynch. so a little bit um a little bit underwhelming for what like we picture david lynch to live in we talked about that earlier it's like i wonder what his house actually looks like and i imagine this is one of several houses but i i think if maybe if he was inspired by someone buzzing at his intercom and then he sets it in this house around the saying of people filming maybe this was the house that happened at i don't know but I, you know, I, David Lynch, I imagine has at least two places. I can imagine him having like an east coast and west coast place. Oh yeah. yeah. Somewhere quiet in the woods, like very Twin Peaksy, and then somewhere you know in sunny LA, so where he actually works. And, right. and stuff, but it's weird actually, that it's,
1: he's designed by him too. He designed the house. That's even weirder to me. Like. Yeah. He, in his spare time, yeah, he's just drawing up
0: scales for a house real quick. But I'm at this was '97. I don't know. He was. He hit pretty. I mean, this was later in his career. Even then, it was still well into it. He he had been, you know, Oscar nominated. He had done Dune and Elephant Man and Eraserhead. Obviously, his first thing. Yeah. But like, I don't know. I I just I I want to imagine that David Lynch's house is more interesting. So right. maybe maybe you know they took some stuff down to make it less busy. I don't know. Maybe he is like a, a simplistic type of guy be. his living quarters a lot of a lot of those people don't stay at their house a lot too so i don't know but uh i do have a friend who is a big david lynch fan and his wife is friends with david lynch's wife oh, whoa. and he's sort of like i really want my wife to ask her if we can go to dinner together yeah. but he doesn't want like one he doesn't want it to be like a they say never meet your heroes. He doesn't oh, want right, to like yeah. ruin that for himself. And two, he doesn't want to come off as like a weirdo. That's like, can, can you ask David out for, <laughs> for me? Like, you know, he's like, I don't want to come off as like a weird crush thing, but like I want, I, I sort of just want to go to his house and like look yes. at it. But you know, it's like uh Guillermo del Toro's house. Like, oh, he's yeah. He I has can like, only imagine. Well, his, he has like uh, actual like pictures, like I think, and then he took all of the stuff in it and took it on tour And we were lucky enough to go to Minneapolis Art Institute and he had like his stuff from his house on display and he just has like you know gigantic life-size sculptures of like frankenstein's monster and the pan's labyrinth fawn and all that oh, stuff in his house like yeah all all the stuff from his movies he keeps the props and then his house is like it makes my house looks like like a uh, minimalist like this right. th- every inch of the walls oh. from ceiling to floor covered with artwork that would be uh, amazing yeah man. he has like taxidermy to animals i mean his his collection is cool but it's like i just i, I would think like David Lynch would just have, like, really weird, yep. you know, sculptures, and I don't know. Maybe maybe that's a stereotype that we assume because he's so artistic. He could be one of those, like, super OCD things that where everything has to be
1: in its place, but in his head, it's just chaos. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I don't know. You never know with the people like
0: him. But that's what's cool about him is that we don't yes. know. Like, we get little, this is, like, the closest glimpse into his, like, life outside of, you know, his movies and his art. Right. Um Let's see. In 2002, director David Lynch said he, only, he had only recently realized that subconsciously inspired the film, it was O.J. Simpson trial. Lynch said that the trial was a major influence on his mind during the stage of writing the script, which deals with a man who was accused of killing his wife. Curiously enough, Lynch, was, Lynch had cast Robert Blake to play the mystery man, who is a major character in this film. Several years later, Blake was put on trial for killing his own wife. So oj simpson trial at the time i think it was like 94 95 even as a kid that was like i mean we talk about it at school and it's weird like at thinking about it now like elementary kids talking about like (laughs) this this guy murdering and i I remember this this is so stupid i remember going to hy-vee and they had this huge vending machine with glass on the front and it had and I might have mentioned, uh, yeah, I did mention it on the Brett and Tony uh, with Ashton A podcast when we were talking uh, about serial killers. The Pogs? The Pogs, yep, yes. Yep. And I uh, I had my dad, I was like, you know, Pogs were big at the time. Which, def- OJ Simpson, Pogs, I mean, can it couldn't yeah. get more 90s? Uh, but uh, <laughs> he got me like a pack of Pogs that were like punch out. They're like the cards and yep. they were like perforated and I punched them out and it was like football superstars and I had OJ Simpson and my parents took it from me. Oh. And now, like, it, dad probably threw it away or something. It's probably worth something now. Well, oh, yeah. I don't know. Baseball cards sort of like lost all their yeah. But a pog man, that's maybe like, it's
1: a it's a double it's double rare because it's a, a specific set of time and then they got right. rid of them. Right. And yeah. OJ Simpson.
0: I wonder if pogs are like cool again because like wide leg jeans are coming cool again. Like all '90s things are coming yes. cool. But I don't know. So it's I mean, how could you not be influenced? And, and it's interesting in two thousand two so several years later he realized
1: it's a weird way to like a long time to realize to be honest that's, yeah that's like
0: but whatever. i mean when it's such a thing and you th- i don't know like on the other hand i'm like i don't picture david lynch ever like even paying attention to current events no. or the news but it's hard to avoid what's going on with that and it's so interesting so it, it does make sense but then to connect it back to like blake you know uh that he ended up yeah that robert blake ended up later and and that whole thing was like he went he he was with his wife in the car and went into somewhere to retrieve a gun which shady as shit anyways uh it seems like a lot of shady people in this movie i imagine (laughs) maybe he was getting a gun from um robert robert lotion (laughs) yeah yeah it's like i imagine those two you know on set were probably fun luckily robert blake was in like two scenes at the the party scene at the very end with a camcorder but uh yeah he was put to trial. They never found him guilty because the the bullets that apparently murdered his wife killed his wife were not the same ones that matched up to his gun, so they still never figured out who did it. but then he got sued by um his ex now dead wife's uh kids and she was like a Hollywood like gold digger had oh. nine marriages before and was known to marry into um actors and stuff get their money and and run so uh, you know, little uh, shady on everybody's side. Yeah. But uh, it's interesting that OJ Simpson subconsciously, it makes sense. But then again, like this movie does, I mean, outside of murdering of the wife, which That's is fun. only like the first, what fourth of the film, because <laughs> yeah. then it flips a switch and it's not about that at right. all anymore. Um, Bill Pullman is really playing the saxophone during the scene in which Fred is performing in the nightclub he did not know how to play before signing on for the part and learned only to play that particular solo. So, you know, once again, I don't think he's really... Bill is not really a method actor. I mean, I sort of wish like Lynch would have gotten with Daniel Day-Lewis. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Like, he probably would have really murdered his wife for that, this role. Yep. The, <laughs> the,
1: the, the amount that he would go to for this movie would be... A, I would love to see it.
0: Oh God. He would, he would somehow... <laughs> like they he could play both characters like when they flipped the switch but we wouldn't recognize him like he's yeah, like
1: they'd, he'd say okay we're gonna spread this out over 10 years yeah we'll record everything with uh the younger guy young, first, yeah. and then i'll I'll mess myself up and i'll come back and do bill pullman or, or he,
0: he'll get uh plastic surgery to look younger or something he's a <laughs> lunatic i love him i miss him i'm sad that he's retired but uh I love hearing the stories like, Oh yes. You know, I just recently uh, did gangs in New York. That was the first time for me. That was a great episode. Yeah. And I love like just reading about Daniel day Lewis. Cause that him in that movie just blew me away. And, and then reading about all that stuff, all of his performances, I, you know, he's, he was a fantastic actor and, I love uh, hearing
1: stories about the links these people go to.
0: Like uh, the one that always blows my mind is Christian Bale The Machinist.
1: Oh God! What the? And then like years later, he comes back as uh, who was this character's name? That guy? Oh, Patrick Bateman. Yes, yeah. Patrick Bateman, and he's yeah. all buff. It's like what the? Yeah, hell is well, this I guy think doing?
0: I think actually like between Machinist and. Batman Begins was like his next movie, and he's like fucking oh, shredded, okay. yeah. But it's like, what? yeah, but they're they're right in the same time. Like I think it went American Psycho, so he shredded. Machina, okay. so he was skinny. Then back to being like That's fucking shredded. Just... Well, like I think Jared Leto for Chapter Twenty Three, maybe where he played uh, the guy who shot John Lennon. Have you seen that? I have not seen that one. He gained like 150 pounds oh, to play geez. the guy, so he's got like big cheeks, and he's really like he's got like man boobs and stuff. Right. And then because Jared's like a stout uh vegan and oh I mean he's like 50 and he's he's like in better shape than I'll ever be in my entire life. But he uh instantly went from that to like going back to Jared Leto. So in like the 30 Seconds to Mars um bury me video was which, which is like the shining inspired one right. he sort of still has some of the fat in his cheeks but he huh. lost the weight so quickly that he gave himself gout and he had, like, a hole in his foot and he has to wear, like, special insoles in his his shoes. And the sad thing was, like, you know, he did that and dedicated himself to that movie and then it, like, never got, like, picked up for major distribution, so it went from, like, film festival straight to video.
1: See, he has a habit of, like, going hardcore on these movies where he just gets almost nixed completely. Right, well, like the Joker. Yeah, Suicide Squad, that... Yeah. Man, that's crazy.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know, it's like... I've, I'm a Leto defender, but I know like some people. It, it's funny because it's like people really hate him for his methods, where they adore Daniel Day Lewis. And maybe it's just the person because I think people just have a hard time taking Jared Leto seriously. Like it's one thing to do to go crazy and and go full method when you're playing Abraham Lincoln in a right. Steven Spielberg film, and it's another when you're playing a Joker with face tattoos in <laughs> this in a Suicide Squad movie. So yeah. I sort of get the. You know
1: I mean it's his craft. He's dedicated to it. More props to him. Right. I mean, I'm I'm on the same page as you. I don't have anything against the guy. It's just that one brief moment of his career that I'm just like, you could have chose a better role to yeah. go hardcore for. But whatever. Yeah. I mean it's... Or
0: um Shia LaBeouf recently for the tax collector. Have you know heard about that? that? Uh-uh. Like uh, I think it was a David Ayer film, the same guy that did Suicide Squad. Oh. So apparently this direct <laughs> it's that like director. Yeah, yeah, that director, but um Shia LaBeouf got a full chest to stomach tattoo oh my gosh. of this of his character, like for his character who's like a sort of cartel, like a Hispanic uh, cartel guy. Which one, like people were upset because it's like Shia is a white guy and now he's they're making him play right. like a Mexican. But two, like he he got they were like we can easily put like fake tattoos on you and it it would just be like a few hours a day i mean right. they did it for like drax they do it for characters all the time or even cover them up yeah he got a full chest to stomach piece and then COVID hit and the movie went straight oh, to streaming no. oh
2: no yeah so like what are you doing i buddy? know
0: and then like so like he in his other movies now he like if he had go shirtless which i think imagine it's like you could have done the temporary tattoos for yeah. one movie, or now for the rest of your movies, they're gonna have to do makeup to cover them. Yeah, he could which, have
1: saved more time right. just
0: getting the the fake ones, and then. But it, oh, he said it was a character gosh. thing, but it's like it's like hardcore. Like, I think it's like, uh, I don't know. It remind me of like Danny Trejo. He has that yep. like big woman, but it's like I think it's like flowers and guns, and you know oh, the typical. Man. And it's like it's specific to his character he's playing that movie, yeah. which is just almost heartbreaking. Like heartbreaking. I like Shia. I know he's got a lot of personal issues when he's on he's on he i think he's. but it's like something about these character actors or these uh method actors but uh i don't think bill pullman is but i i i would say it's not because it's like he only learned enough to play the one solo which is a normal thing like i mean it looks fake in the movie
1: which is weird yeah because
0: it looks fake as
1: hell but he yeah he was so dedicated to it that he went and learned it anyway
0: Yeah, I mean, I've heard all kinds of people that um learned guitar for movies. You know, that seems to be like the most common yeah. thing. Like uh, uh, Christian Bale learned drums for um The Big Short, really? which again, like have you seen The Big Short? I have not. Uh he he has like a drum solo. He he's like a he's like a sort of American psycho like businessman um and he has this like there's a scene where he plays drums I think to like Master of Puppets or or, uh, something Metallica, and it's really badass, and I'm like, oh, I didn't know Christian Bale played drums, and I learned that he spent, like, six months learning from, or or maybe longer, but it's pretty impressive. Like, it's really, I'm like, man, I think about, like, some of these Marvel actors and stuff, too, Mm -hmm. and I'm like, sometimes I'm really impressed, and other times I, I think about, like, when you have all the money in the world and someone's paying for your training and yeah. this is what you dedicate your whole life is this, it's a whole different, it's not obtainable to us, right? but we look, we look at them as like, oh, they're people and they're doing this thing. It's like, well, we have day jobs, we, we yeah. have lives, we have things we have to do, you know, and, and it's different when it's like other than eat, sleep and, and work out or learn to play drums or whatever. It's like, that's what they dedicate themselves six months to do for this role. It's, it's right. a whole different thing. And that But it's still not easy. Oh, no. You know, I like to think, like, if I had all the money in the world, I would just learn piano and this and that. It's like, yeah, it. you still have to have the the will to do it, too. Yeah. You know, and I, I play guitar my whole life. I don't think I, I'm I'm not very good at it because I never had, like, that super strong desire. I know people who can pick up something really quick and yeah. learn it, and I'm just like, I just don't have the uh, passion, I guess, for it. Right. No, but, I'm right there with you. Like,
1: yeah. uh, I, I could never be in a Marvel movie because i would not go to the gym i yeah. would lose interest really yeah. quick i don't care how badass i would look and feel no i do not want to go to the gym every single day yeah like, i
0: mean it's i guess money's a good motivator but man right like, yeah i've yeah the whole marvel thing is you know all those actors it's it's cool that they're getting big names and stuff in it yeah, but yeah it's uh you see some of these turn turnarounds on people who are normal i mean like star lord you know he's yep. he was oh my gosh complete transformation yeah, chris pratt was was sort of the tubby guy on parks and rec and then the went tubby to be, guy
1: you like to make fun of now right. oh, he's a
0: freaking like god yeah yeah to some people some uh camille people. nanjiani is like the biggest one for eternals which i still haven't seen i have not either but um you know he's like a Middle Eastern like comedian. I, oh
1: wait, I know that name.
0: Yeah. What else is he in? He's in uh, quite a few comedies. He's he's a he's a funny guy, Middle Eastern guy. Is uh, he the
1: one in the uh, the the one with the the guy who played Drax? I can't even think of his name now. Like you know, there uh, yes, Uber yeah. They have one. a buddy cop movie. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And uh, he's no, I like that guy a lot. He's and he's in that. He's super fucking shredded now, Whoa. like unbelievably shredded. All but right. yeah, he's in Eternals. I think it just and and that's another one I just have I miss because it sort of got yeah. l- got sort of thrown out there during a pandemic and yep. Uh, you know now I'm sort of Marveled out. Well, yeah, but, no, there's so many Marvel movies yeah. coming out. It's hard to keep on top of it. Yeah, it's in, it's. I'm not sure if I want to dedicate myself because like, <laughs> uh, now you have to like watch the TV shows right. too, and I'm like, man, like that's right. like eight hours because like eight episodes or more, ten episodes, right. an hour long. I'm like it was one thing a two and a half hour movie it it, when it becomes a chore i don't know like i i was i i caught myself with like black widow where i'm like almost felt like i had to get to theater to see it before it was spoiled i'm like am i just going because i i feel like it's it's like a job almost where um spider-man i was genuinely excited for i was very excited excited for that. that that was a different thing but it's like and now they're sort of trying to connect the the venom movies i'm like i don't want to i don't know if i want to do that so i mean i'll watch
1: them when i get time but that's a lot of dedication yeah Some like right on top of
0: it and i think like you know we it's it's interesting it's sort of cool like marvel started off with the biggies and now we're getting deeper into their weirdness and but they're still keeping around some of the you know some of the big guys to keep the the crown going it's like we can't dive right into like unknowns but I don't know, like I feel like it tra- started transition big time when it was Guardians of the Galaxy and, and James Gunn was like, yeah. here's this cast of weirdos that you've never heard of. And then it was like, OK, now we can I we have trust that th- people people trust us enough to do these weird characters. Yeah. But on that hand, I like that. But on the other hand, I'm like, I don't know if I'm ready to get into the next phase. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. Okay, so this um was Richard Pryor's final motion picture appearance before his death in 2005 at the age of 65. So 8 years yeah, it would have been 8 years later after this. So it's not like man it's not like he just, you know, did this and died like right right before it got put out or something. This I mean, Richard Pryor was the shit in like the 70s, oh, 80s. Yes. One of the most legendary comedians. Obviously had his um issues with drugs and alcohol and mental health and ended up dying in a bad time in a bad way. But uh, it's just sort of weird. Like David Lynch, let's bring in Richard Pryor (laughs) as a guy who runs the garage in an electric wheelchair, who has one line, literally one line. And it's a weird. I don't remember what it was, some weird line, but it's like, why is that Richard Pryor? Okay. It is. All right. (laughs) Like one movie that I watched a lot as a kid, I I have, it's like, Probably like six movies we watched at the, at the Good House when we were kids, and we watched Toy a lot. Have you ever seen Toy? Uh, is that the one with Robin Williams? No. No. That one's cool. That Toys, I think, is that one? Oh, maybe? it's plural. Gotcha. Yeah, no, to- no. I have not seen either. I think I this, is the, either. this is the Toy. Okay. It has the kid that stuck his tongue to the Poland Christmas story. Okay. And Richard Pryor. And this movie, I'm surprised, has not been like completely erased from history oh, no. because. This the kid from the Christmas story plays a super rich kid and they ask him, What what do you buy the kid who has everything right. for his birthday? Oh no. They're at the store and Richard Pryor works at the store. I want the black man. Oh no. And they buy him <laughs> Richard Pryor and he comes to the house. And now this kid has his own Richard Pryor to play with. They they ride like go-karts uh it's not you i mean you sold me on it I'm, now, now it maybe in my it. head i'm i'm making this up but i swear like robert uh logia is like his dad maybe like the oh rich dad God. i don't know
1: even better uh,
0: but they basically are like sir would you like come with us and they pay him like an exuberant amount to to like hang out and and be like this kid's friend and it's it's sad but it's like also sort of like this is slavery like yeah just because he's not picking cotton doesn't make it be- <laughs> good like Then it's weird that he had, like, you're forcing him to play with your kid. Like, and and it's sort of supposed to, I think it's supposed to be fun where it's like, oh, you know, he's uh, a kid at heart and he's having fun and, you know, he's living his best life. And of course, there's like a lesson later when it's like, the kid's like, you know, I have to pay you to be my friend. And, of course, like, now we really are friends, yeah. kid. That kind of thing. That
1: was going to be my next question. Like, was there at least a lesson? There's a lesson, okay. yeah.
0: But it's sort of, it's, <laughs> years later, it's like, oh, God, this could never exist. And I'm surprised, like. What era? Are we talking, like, the 80s? Yeah. Okay. I think it's the 80s. Because the kid's around the same age. Maybe a little bit older. I think it might have been right after Christmas Story. Uh, and I think that kid went on to be, like, a porn star later Okay, but uh <laughs> But it's interesting, like. I can't remember the actor's name, but it was like, you know, just I remember watching that when I was a kid, and I think my dad liked Richard Pryor or something, and right. I was like, as a kid, I never ever suspected this might be a, a bad thing, no. and then grow up, and I'm like looking back at it, and it's like, oh.
1: It's weird to go back and see the things we missed when we were little. Yeah, like, and, and shit, things that you know,
0: studios would green light. Yep. And, you know, and and let pass and like that would never ever fly now like killing like movies with killing kids that kind of stuff oh no yeah uh i was like I, you know people keep you keep saying and i don't want to go off too much of tangent but i think about like they keep asking jason blum about like what if you guys did like a remake of halloween 3 and it's like you could never do a movie where this guy sells masks to children that are going to kill them one night right. on a, broad, a tv broadcast like that could never fly now you oh, can't no. you, you can't just kill masks kill children in movies um, but you know, in the eighties that that kind of shit flew, so
1: eighties uh, <laughs> were a magical time
0: yeah this this was also Robert Blake's last film appearance, not because um he died, but because his wife was murdered in his car, and no one wanted to hire him after so sad, even or though died. he was you know acquitted, it was like uh and i think robert blake like i i like i said when i was looking this up i was like i recognize that name looked him up a little bit read about the trial but he also mm-hmm. i think was like a child actor okay and he had a lot of if like he was a typical child actor where he was he got into it and then got into like alcohol uh, yep. and, and had a lot of problems where we see that's tip you know pretty yeah, typical coping mechanisms yeah, yeah and um so he, he grew up to have a lot of problems but uh Sort of sad. He's still around. I guess he's he's recently, in the last couple of years, started a YouTube channel, and, you know, that's not surprising. That's oh. sort of... But, uh, you know, seems like he's doing okay now, but uh, sort of sad, like, this... He got into some kind of shit with his yep. wife at the time and now that's... Uh, one place, wrong time and it almost killed his career. Yeah. Damn. Uh, Robert Blake told co-writer and director David Lynch he was not going to give him a hard time about the script because Blake did not understand it. Blake also said he felt his character was the devil. Uh, it
1: would be interesting to show up to work one day at a David Lynch movie yeah. and try to figure it out. It yeah. It would be an interesting day.
0: I don't imagine like... You know, he has a stable of actors. He has like Kyle McLaughlin and uh, he has Laura Dern and he uses Mm -hmm. like a lot of these uh, same actors and a lot of stuff. But I imagine they sort of just have an understanding of like they just go with it. Yeah. These are going to be weird art films. Um, I might win some awards for them or I might they might be panned. But I'm getting I'm probably getting paid pretty well. And David's easy to work with. Um, Is he an easy director I've, I've
1: been curious cuz I could see him losing his shit at the same time but I I've, I've never heard anything.
0: I think he's very dry like from what I've seen. I I one particular clip that I actually posted the other day um cuz someone made a meme of it um on the Twin Peaks of return set uh there's like a clip that had been sort of gone viral where he's like all right let's do that again but this time make it good and he's not he's like not even like joking he's just that that's just the thing how he is and someone turned it to a meme it's like when me talking me in 2021 talking about talking to 2022 like (laughs) let's do this again but make this time make it good uh I don't know he from what I've seen like in in his Kyle and I mean I imagine these people would not come keep coming back if he was hard to work with um but like Laura Dern talks about him like like they talk about him like he's a god. They love him. God, they yeah. say, you know, he's great to work with. Uh Then he must be a, a, at least somewhat of a sweetheart on the set. Yeah, but I I'm also imagine it's just like hard to sort of read him too and yeah, yeah. you'd have to I imagine these people who have relationships with him have like almost an unspoken language with him where it's like we get it. He doesn't bring in a lot of new people into his stuff. Mm-hmm. Um and if the, they do, if it is new people, it's like really weird small cameos like, like Richard, Richard Pryor. Pryor. Right. Or Marilyn yeah. Manson. Right. And uh I was actually, there's like a clip on YouTube of Manson talking about his appearance in this movie. And it's sort of cool. Like, you know, he, I can imagine uh two opposite ends of the spectrum where Manson's like super intense and, yeah. you know, and almost has to play a character and yeah, it's, it'd be interesting. Like I said, to just be on the set. Oh, uh, yes. Uh There's, there's a documentary about the house, Laura Palmer's house from twin peaks. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, it's a real house that a woman lives in and in the gap between the time they filmed Twin Peaks in the nineties and then the most recent one, almost 20 years, I think 18 years, um, they, you know, this woman, she knew of like, when she bought it, she knew, oh, this was like the Twin Peaks house, but she didn't think much of it, but the fans are so hardcore. Like they started coming to the door and then suddenly it was like, okay, like I have this saying I should sort of like treat it as such so she started like people would bring artwork and she'd hang it on the walls and frame it and stuff and then you can like book tours but um one day i think she got like a call and it was like this is david lynch you live in the house like we (laughs) basically it was like you know my people will call your people and they called and they were like we're filming a super secret project can we use the house for like two weeks we'll put you in a hotel we're gonna come in and like Recarpet, redo the walls everything and then we'll put it it will take all kinds of photos and put it exactly back to where it was after oh wow um you know and you and basically you get paid for us to use your house and she's like cool let's do it and um this this short little documentary on youtube um sort of provides an insight because it's like she actually talked like david you know could have just like literally just had his people call her but he came and met her and then That's actually cool when he met her he was like have you done any acting she's like no like i you know, she has a day job or whatever and he was like would you be willing to be in a scene and she's in the final scene of the return and it's That's a huge cool. scene and it's like you know there, I, I won't spoil anything but there she's in the final scene and it's sort of like he's known to sort of put non-actors into roles Um, that's amazing I love that story so she's like in in it and she's like now she embraces it so much and you can go take tours and she's on Instagram and constantly posting artwork that people send to her and so she's very fond of Dave and had a lot of great things to say about him so I think he's a pretty good dude that is awesome I don't want to did she get paid
1: for let him use the house she got to be in the the show and everything right yeah she has that
0: and I think I don't think she was like she said that she remembers Twin Peaks from the 90s being a big thing, but didn't watch it. Mm-hmm. And then maybe some like friends or maybe her kids or somebody was like, oh, this is a really big deal. Like David Lynch is really big, you know, and you should you should do it. And like, you know, and her house is already in like the old episodes. Right. And They actually use that the exterior and interior, which is sort of rare. Um, A lot of times that stuff will be shot on a soundstage. And, right. You know, yeah. but he actually likes physical location. So it's sort of cool. Like when you walk in the front door, the house is still laid out exactly the same. And so in this little documentary, they sort of show what it looked like when they did twin peaks. And then what it looked like when she moved in yeah. and then them going back in and re like doing a house to make it look like twin peaks because the, the lady that lived in the house, like on the show was always smoking cigarettes. So they had to make oh. the, the walls look yellowed yeah, from like yeah. the top, you know, and, and fade more to white and that kind of thing. And sort of cool, like Damn. the attention to detail. And after all these years, the house had to look the same and, um but yeah it's it's just cool to hear little stories like he's he's very private but i've always heard you know he's very sweet and very nice that's good just sort of a a dry odd guy but um you know not not mean in any way it always
1: breaks my heart when the sweethearts aren't so sweet yeah it's like oh
0: yeah i've heard some stories but i've I've been pretty lucky that i've only met a few celebrities that i would say are jerks uh paulie shore he's a jerk I could kind of see that, but that does break my heart. Yeah. He seems like a big old sweetheart. Yeah. He was doing comedy at Whitey's like, I don't know now, like forever ago and uh really funny night. And he was like, you know, afterwards, line up and you get pictures of us. And we like stepped up and he's like, did you all come together? We're like, yeah. He's like, one group photo. I was like, that's fine. Understandable. He wants the line to move. Yeah. We get, we all g- g- gather around him and we're like getting ready to post for the picture. And he's like, don't touch my fucking back. Oh. and i was like oh i di- i wasn't going to i'm sorry and he's like i have a back problem so don't touch it and it's like I, it's not like i right. did touch it he was it was like you could just be like hey man like watch the back watch the back. Yeah, yeah, yeah just don't touch my back like if you get behind me don't touch my back i haven't but i i've heard other stories about him too that he wasn't the nicest so um luckily paulie shore's never been in a david lynch <laughs> um Entertainment Weekly ranked this film as the 23rd scariest movie of all time. I'm not sure they don't say when this ranking came out, but uh, if anything I would see it going higher up the list cuz this is pretty damn
1: It is. And it's it's weird that I've never heard of this movie in relation to like in relationship to horror or the, right. the scary like even Lynch himself. I've never heard in the the horror community and it's just weird. I yeah. love it though.
0: Yeah, it's I mean, yeah, Lynch isn't, no, he's known as like an art, Yeah, I would yes. say just like artsy or drama. I don't even know what you'd call his his film. He's almost like his own genre, yeah. but uh, you never get his, especially this. Like, I feel like this is one of his least talked about movies. And like I, I said, I grew up listening to the soundtrack. It was incredible, but um, I never saw it. And then like, you, when you think of David Lynch, everybody thinks of Twin Peaks Eraserhead yep. You know, those are the sort of the two big ones, which, you know, the beginning his career and then, uh, maybe, uh, Mulho- Mulholland drive yeah. or, uh, blue velvet. But this is sort of like one of the last, and I wouldn't say the last one, but like down towards the bottom of the list. And I think this is pretty damn cool. Oh, I need yeah. to get, get back and, and go through and see more of his stuff. Um, but yeah, I would say this is probably the scariest, uh, film, like the most horror Love it. he's done. And, and, uh, I'm gonna to try to figure out a way to fit it into an episode of AOTKP. Like, um, I'll sign that petition. Road movies? I don't know. Uh, we could just do a Lynch episode, but uh, I just, yeah, I just think, um, body switch. I don't know. I'm just trying to think of a topic yeah. I can relate to this one. Uh, but yeah, I think it it deserves uh, to be on that list, and I think it's cool that it that Agreed. made it. I'm I'm guessing it was probably sometime. Around the release, because it feels like it's sort of forgotten now. I, oh, I wouldn't yeah. expect it to pop up on a list, mo- like a modern list. No. Um, but I don't know. Entertainment Weekly too. It's cool that something so big, you know, put a they, put this movie in. Yeah. You think they would just put like Friday the Thirteenth, Halloween, that kind of crap. Do the stereotypicals. Yeah. yeah. Okay, and the final piece I have is, uh, and it's something we sort of talked about already, but um, this scene that would probably pop up in one of the scariest ones. Um, In the scene where the mystery man, played by Robert Blake, confronts Fred Madison, Bill Pullman's character, at the party, he hands him his cell phone and instructs him to call his own home. There is a close-up of Madison punching in the number with his right hand. In the area between his index finger and thumb, there is a tattoo of a fermata, an element of musical notation, indicating that a note should be sustained for longer than its note value would indicate. This is consistent with the scene of his character continuing to play the solo at the Luna Lounge even after the rest of the band has stopped playing. So this is what I debated on putting on. I think the tattoo is really cool because obviously he's saying something with it. There's always some kind of thing with Lynch, but like, I don't know if the person who wrote this is connecting that to that actual sax solo like if that's an actual thing or they just assume it is a thing, it's, but it's, it's cool it, to think about. It is. And
1: it's such a weird homage to put in there. It's like one of the smallest tattoos along with one of the smallest scenes. Mm-hmm. And it's weird to to tie it in. But I mean, that's, that's Lynch. He's a details right. man.
0: I imagine like someone who's more well-versed, like musically that would recognize what mm-hmm. that is, would see it. And then maybe put two and two together, like, Oh, that makes sense. Like, right? You know, he he was playing that saxophone earlier. Like, what what does this mean? Yeah, it could be nothing, but you know, it could be a connection. Could not be a connection. Just be something. But you know, it means something to Lynch. Like, to because I obviously the actor doesn't actually have that tattoo. or right. Something he he had to go to makeup and be like, make put this tattoo on their yeah. hand. It wasn't you know something that someone drew on them. So it was a decision that they made. But no, just thinking. It's an interesting one. Yeah, I mean, and there's I'm, there's all kinds of things I didn't include on the list about like the. The uh, license plates in this movie all adding up to zero or it's just seven it's like zero zero five one or two and just little thing i guess lynch really likes number seven uh likes you know numbers right sort of a numbers freak guy Oh yeah uh, him and number like i've he he puts numbers where
1: i feel like they don't need to be as prominent like in this one the the different hotel rooms like he focused really hard on the number nine when he was having the affair okay and then the room 25 and 26 and it's just really weird to me how he he focuses on numbers and i don't know if it's a coincidence or not but the prison cell or the uh prison number on fred was it Mm -hmm. the main guy uh if you turn it into a time stamp that's when he starts taking the medicine and That's where I think the whole thing went off the rails for his character, and that's why he switched over. But it could be coincidence, it could be what he intended. I don't know. Did but you hit... like
0: pause it and look at like the timestamp? No, like, what oh. I did
1: was the first time I watched it, like the numbers were in my head. I'm like, What are all these numbers? These numbers have to mean something. So the second time I watched it, I just started writing down the numbers as I saw okay. them, and then uh a lot of them were like one digit numbers so i was really past that point in the movie i wasn't going to rewind it the only one that wasn't was the prison number and it was like 47 minutes so i'm like okay so 47 minutes i kept scrolling down to see, see what, what happens what time at 47 yeah and right around the 47 minute mark is when the doctor throws the pill in his mouth and makes him swallow it right. and i'm just like whoa that's kind of cool i don't know if he intended it but that's awesome
0: right and that's when he like looks up at the vent above his cell yep. and sort of that's where like obviously the something happens where he transitions from, yeah from Fred to our new character. And it's like, yeah, I mean, we, we talk a little bit about that, but it's like clear that's a transition. And then when he flips back to Fred and at the very end of the movie where he's driving on the highway, you know, it's, I think that's probably like out of everything, this movie, I think everybody sort of agrees. Like at the end, that's him getting electrocuted in electric chair. Like, and it's
1: rare for a Lynch, uh, group to cons
0: yeah. to agree on something. Yeah,
1: like his movies usually everything is there's theories everywhere.
0: Yeah, there's everything sort of left to interpretation. But right. that one I think is is maybe obvious, or maybe we just all uh, someone came up with that, and we all were just like that makes sense. That right. makes the most sense. Yeah, and uh, logically, of course we could ask Lynch and he could be like, that's wrong, but I won't clarify. Right. That would be the kind of (laughs) of thing he would do, but that's, that's sort of how he is. So we've reached the end of trivia. Um, Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about where they can find um, Brett and Tony with Ash and Abe, um, you know, what you've got going on. I know you guys had just had a short film, at Halloween Palooza. So, I know you guys are on YouTube, you guys are on you, you guys are killing it on social media. Yes.
1: Uh well, that's thanks mostly thanks to Tony cuz he's a, he's a Twitter man. He's killing it there. Um, so which which uh channel are you responsible for? I am Facebook and since Facebook has kind of merged with Instagram, uh-huh. I can just do it all from Facebook now. Right. So, it's pretty simple. Um, and then I always get input from Ashlyn. She's okay. she's the one who keeps me in check on what to post and what not to post. Uh, mm-hmm. But no, you can find us on pretty much any social media platform. Um, anywhere you get podcasts, you can find us YouTube. With that, you'll get all of our, uh, the visual anecdotes that we do. Because we do like, we did the Hot Ones Challenge. Not official Hot Ones Challenge. It was just hot sauces. That was a lot of fun. Um, we throw, we have our short on there. Any other shorts that we come up with, because we've all got ideas kicking around because we want to hit that a little bit harder because that was a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, you can find us everywhere. Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's great to have you guys as part of the Prescribed Film Podcast oh, Network. It's such a such a
1: joy to be brought into that. Um, and if you aren't familiar with our show, uh, one week we just do a random topic. We get off topic. It's fun. And the other one, we watch a movie and we just rate the movie and we... have a lot of fun with that one too
0: well see i sort of like stole from your guys podcast because you're like the facts guy you look up you do the research you find stuff and they they throw it to you and you're the you're the man with the laptop in front of you um and like when this show started i really didn't uh have any segments and i still don't really i I guess trivia is the most segment i have but it's like i felt like Beyond talking, I'm like, I have to have a little more something. And I I always find the trivia stuff um, to be super interesting. Even if it's fake, I just love it.
1: Like, the weirdest things come up, like, a couple weeks ago when we did uh, Universal Soldier, that they really bought all that ice from a gas station, and that guy got a tour of the ice plant. That's just (laughs) the most random thing, and I love it. All yeah, that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, I sort of missed the uh IMDb used to have like message boards for like you could get into oh, for really? every movie and I think it just became like a yeah, a, a wasteland see. where people would fight and argue and call each other names, yeah. but uh <laughs> it was always interesting to click in there because sometimes you would like you would have a movie where like one actor, like an actor only had like one IMDb credit so you click on there and there would be like someone in there like whatever happened to this person and that person would happen to click on their own IMDb and be like, Hey, I'm like a teacher now or something, you know? And it's like, you would hope there was no way to verify that was them, but it's like, you'd hope that the, that person on the other end would be like, Oh, like that one role I had now people, I I can write, they, they know that people appreciate that movie, that role that they did. It's sort of cool. Like in my mind, I was like, maybe, you know, this is a good thing that they're like seeing that, you know, because we have so many actors who did, like, one or two roles. and They just give it up. Right. They give yeah. it up, and they don't realize that their movies become a cult thing until, like, later in their life. Like, uh, Sandy, I'm trying to remember her last name, but she, uh, she played Michael Myers' sister at the beginning of Halloween. She, like, gets murdered right away. You know, mm-hmm. she, she right in the opening scene, she gets murdered, and then she didn't do any more acting. And forever, like people were looking for her for Halloween conventions and reunion oh, really? stuff and they could not find her. Well, it turned out, I think she got like married and, and got a different last name. Eventually they found her and she had no idea. Like Halloween was a big thing and that people what? would want to meet her. And she's like, I was in like two minutes of the movie and it's like, yeah, but like You're we want to meet of Michael Myers, right? Like <laughs> we want to meet like everybody, you know? So it's uh you know, it's sort of cool now that she's got this like secondary career where she's doing that the conventions cool. and signing autographs. And I'm just glad like, we're more connected now with, with the internet because like, I hate to hear when like artists or actors or directors or stuff, like they pass away before they oh, realize yeah. people like, I was just listening to Quentin Tarantino on Eli Ross history of horror. And they're talking about um, Lucio Fulci. And it was like, you go to a horror convention now, people are wearing Fulci live shirts. Mm-hmm. It's sad because they're saying like, tarantino was like you know he never like he never got his due when his films came out they came Mm. became like cult classics later and now people love them and 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 celebrate them but at the time they were trashed and people hated them and it's like he probably died before he even heard you know he he, i think he did like one convention before uh he passed away and it's like maybe he got to feel the love there but it's like tarantino was saying like what's the irony of like you know he passed away and never knew that people would be wearing ironically folchi Ful- lives yeah. t-shirts at conventions you know because they they love yeah. his work but uh you know i just it's nice to hear you know people can i just hope that people can recognize and and know that their their work is loved but yeah. um no i love your show i'm glad that you guys well, are you. It, i don't think people realize how much work a podcast really is and i've brought this up on the show several times with fellow podcasters but like The idea you guys have been going strong for over a year now. Like you guys just put out, you know, your your recap of the last year, putting out a show every week. It's so fucking tough and scheduling. Like with you guys, four of you working on. You all have day jobs. You all do your own thing. You have your own lives, and for you to all four to find time get together, it's sort of cool. It's like I think probably just good for your friendship in general
1: it is um we've actually had to um we're trying to work on a schedule where we can actually hang out outside of the show too so yeah yeah to make it it not just like if we hang out we have to record yeah right but no it it is a lot of work and that's coming from the guy who does like the least amount of work (laughs) other than watch the movies and i do research every once in a while and make posts on facebook That's about the extent. That's still a lot, though. I don't have to edit. I don't have... That's the hard part. I couldn't imagine the editing room. So, shout out to Brett and Tony. Um, But it is a lot of work to do a podcast. It's a lot of fun, though.
0: Yeah, I think... I mean, it it definitely... I think people jump into it expecting... You you know, anybody can do it. And then when they start to get down to it, you see so many start up and then... Disappear. Disappear really quick, or they take a break and they start doing them less frequently or sporadically and that's fine too um but you know you guys have been every single week without missing it going for so long and it's like i'm glad that it's it's stuck around and you guys are still going and i still listen every week and i'm always looking forward to uh not just the movies which you know sort of is is the thing i love listening to i thought you know that would be the one i would i would listen to you know or like more and then i find myself uh actually liking the other ones sometimes a little bit more just because i love hearing your differing opinions on i mean like you guys did a religion episode like that's the one thing you should never do you guys did it and you guys ended up on the other side still being friends yeah no you know you still have listeners everybody
1: that's the hard thing with us is like because i i keep wanting to do controversial topics but we're all kind of on the same page with most controversial topics so it would be pretty boring religion we kind of yeah we got really off track there but no it was a lot of fun i mean it's just uh and i I like it's because it's like the the sunny mentality people i love listening to people argue about the stupidest things it
0: doesn't matter yeah but it's fun to do and it's fun to listen to yeah just find a topic as like a launch pad for you to figure out exactly um, what to talk about and just get friends And, and you obviously you guys have that chemistry which makes it even more interesting sometimes you'll get some podcasts together where it feels forced and i'm like this yeah. is hard to listen to because it's clear that uh and I, i've even had some guests i won't name names or anything where i'm like it feels like i'm i'm pulling uh teeth you know just right. it's like tough to get them to talk where it's like okay you know there is something to be said about like people say oh you know anybody can podcast well
1: it's not true no it's not true and, no. and
0: some people just you know there's some things people are good at. Some people yes. are, you know. I love talking. Obviously, I between two podcasts, I I didn't get enough with the AOTKP, <laughs> so I had to start my own. But uh, and then I talk to other people who do their own podcasts, right. and you know, it's like, but I could I could just talk movies and bullshit all day. So uh,
1: see, it's weird with me. It's the exact opposite. If you talk to me in real life, I am not very talkative. You put a mic in front of me, and for some reason, I just talk and talk and talk. So it's, but it's yeah. It's a good life. It's a good life to have. <laughs> yeah, I
0: think you know, and it's, it's just cool like now that we everything every, you can just do it all you really need is a microphone and a laptop and yep. uh you know some patience I guess, but uh I really appreciate you coming on. No, thanks for having it's me. Great it's great to have blast. you here. Uh I can't wait to have you back on. We need to f- knock some more movies off my list. I feel bad like looking you're, you're like t- just tackling watching your facebook like all the posts of your new movies yes. like you've just been knocking so much shit off the list i'm like man i feel lazy compared to yeah just, but at the same time i do like mini marathons like a full day of movies i, I do but
1: at the same time my uh, i have mult- another watch list on my letterbox and literally that's i listen to attack of the killer podcast and i listen to first time it's like oh, i've never seen that that sounds awesome and i just keep adding and adding and eventually, I just need a list that's nice and small and that's conquerable. And that's what the 99 movies one was. So, but no, it's. it's I like fun. how
0: you, you take a list of 99 movies and you're like, that's doable. Yeah.
1: Well, I, I figured I crossed about half of them off. So, yeah, like, there was probably some
0: on there he had already seen, right? Yes. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay, there was, so. I, I had about a little less than half
1: of them already done. So, I mean, we're talking about like 40 something movies. That's not terrible.
0: I, I'm, like, so obsessive. Like, I have my list for this podcast, and then I have on my phone a small list of, like, ones I want to see immediately, Yeah. like, in the next two weeks. It's, like, I have my assigned ones for Attack the Killer podcast, and I'll have, like, okay, this just came out, and I really want to watch it before it it's sort of gets buried and I forget about it because I, yes. I feel like some of them, when they first come out, it's, like, if I don't see it now, I'm not going to get to so it. That's so. the hard
1: thing about doing the movie podcast is – uh watching the stuff outside of the movie episodes because you have to still watch movies and there's so many things coming out like i missed last night in soho and i'm uh, beating myself up about it because i want to see that movie really bad but
0: yeah i wanted to see french dispatch and i was at uh i was at the theater with nikki and we were seeing something and tony walks out by himself and i'm like oh what's up tony he's like i just saw the french dispatch i'm like Oh, shit. I forgot that was out. And then it was like the last night it was there. And it was like he saw literally like the last screen of it. That was at the theater, which I was like, I I can see it at home, but it's still not quite the same. Like a Wes Anderson film is so beautiful. I want to see it on a big screen. But uh, that's one that's on like my short list that I want to see. But, you know, it's just like. I consume movies differently now. You know, it's mm-hmm. like if I, I have a whole shelf downstairs of movies that I haven't seen that are separate from the rest of my collection. And now I found if I put them separate and I see them every day and they're like right there. Right. I will get to them because if they go into the alphabetical shuffle, I'll forget that I own them. Yep. And then, you know, I don't Do have I any. own that one? Right. I don't think so. And I don't have any kind of priority. To, so it's like when they're yeah. looking at me every day and I've been trying to get better. That's one thing I want to get better this year is just actually just watch movies to watch movies yeah. not just to make them um content or talk about them same thing like you know hang out like i want to hang out with you guys outside of the show sometime Agreed. you know Agreed. and uh, i try to make you know I, I feel bad about like every time i hang out with jason and mike it's either at a convention which yep. at a convention it's a little different because we are just hanging out at a place we love and it's not so much work um you know it's almost just an excuse. It's like we set up the Attack of the Killer Podcast table. Yeah, we we might sell a few things that day, but really, it's just a reason for us to yeah. get together and hang out. Right, and I love that Jason's now you know doing like the Cracktastic Plastic thing. He's like, I'll be at shows. Well, while we're there, we might as well you know knock out a podcast, and then I'll yeah. stop. He was in Burlington. I stop out and see them, and it's like you know, it's a fun thing. So you know, it's I I, I just try to you know live in the real life too. But right. I, I think you know. Podcasting is also I, sometimes I can be socially awkward, so it's sort of a fun way to like oh, break yeah. that ice and get you know, some guests. I've had some guests on that, um, it's like I probably wouldn't just approach to be like, hey, oh, let's yeah. let's hang out and chat. But if we have something to actually a topic to talk about, it's, it's a little different, yeah. But, agreed. Uh, it's been a lot of fun, and, and like I said, I love your podcast, I love Thank what you, you guys so are much. doing. Listen to the Brett and Tony with Ash and A podcast on the PFPN, check out the short films. Uh, Thanks again for coming on. Dude, thank you for having me. It's been a blast. Thanks again for listening to today's episode. If you enjoy the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. A special thank you goes out to my friend Scott Schreiner for our intro and outro music. We'll see you next week on First Time Podcast.
2: Patricia Arquette receives an envelope at her doorstep and thus begins the wild, confusing, moody, terribly violent, and I found rather meaningless David Lynch film called Lost Highway. As a critic, I'm offering something I haven't seen before, and Lost Highway has that quality, but it also is a film that makes very little sense, to me at least, and so its violence pops out and seems empty-headed. Patricia Arquette also plays a mobster's girlfriend in the film. Characters and actors shift identities throughout the story. And here she makes serious eye contact with a young garage mechanic, played by Balthazar Getty, in front of her boyfriend, played by Robert Loja. This magic moment. is played by Richard Pryor. It's great to see him in a film, any film, even this one. Mr. Eddie called. Can I call him and tell him to come in? Yeah, call him, tell him I'm back, and, uh, you know... The other key characters in the story are a devilish mystery man played by Robert Blake and a jazz musician played by Bill Pullman. Where was it you think we met? At your house, don't you remember? As a matter of fact, I'm there right now. That's crazy, man. I suppose, is a metaphor for these times, times in which people don't know who they are and are affected mostly by violence. That's the only interpretation I can come up with. David Lynch is a most creative filmmaker, has a fine visual sense, employs great musical scores, but I don't think Lost Highway adds up to much, and therefore, its considerable violence really turned me off. Boy, I feel just about the same way. You know, every time I see a David Lynch picture, I think to myself, this guy is so gifted that if he would only just break down and make a movie instead of being so clever all the time and trying to outsmart himself with basically what are sophomoric little plot devices, you know, stuff that... that It would be very hard to make this convincing. It doesn't pay off, it doesn't have a purpose, it seems contrived, it seems frustrating, and not to an end. No, it just lays there. And and, uh, again, I don't know if anybody could make heads or tails of this material.